Right, hello friends. The class trial is in session. Uh, we're back for Danganronpa 2. I am uh, one of your hosts, Ty, uh, joined again by the lovely Kenneth Shepard. How are you, Ken? Oh, I'm just ready to go on this tropical vacation that'll totally be uneventful and just vibe it's there just a sandals a it's bit. just a just yeah. a nice get some sand between your toes time yeah nothing bad happens um no. so yeah danganronpa 2 goodbye despair uh it it's the video game it's the next one it is <laughs> two comes after one it's true um yeah so I guess, I mean, the only way to really get into it, I guess, is just to get into it. Um, mm. The game starts with our new protagonist and our new gaggle of kiddos uh, all meeting in a classroom in Hope's Peak. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this like stuffed pink rabbit mascot character shows up. Uh, mm. And she like kicks the walls of the classroom down and turns out they're actually on a tropical island. Yeah. Uh, you know, like normal. Yeah, as you do. Um, and so I think this is something that like definitely seems like more of a staple in like Japanese schools than in ours, but like the the notion is like the class trip. Um mm -hmm. it's like like if you've played Persona 5, it's like when they go to Hawaii or whatever. Um, so it's supposed to be something kind of like that, but it's obviously very weird because there's, like, no context, and then Usami's like, yeah, mm. you guys just have to hang out here and live peacefully together and gather these hope fragments by being friends. Um, and it's just, like, very strange right off the bat, and our main character, mm. Hajime, is kind of the only person who's like, um, this is pretty weird, right? Like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's an interesting like weird like tension throughout the whole game is that everything here is just kind of weird and like off and to some extent it seems otherworldly like there's a point where like uh Usami shows up and she turns a chicken into a cow. Yeah. And it's like both interesting it's like it's interesting because like it is like this weird like how the fuck is all of this happening but i will just say like up front like i think danganronpa 2 is one of the most totally frustrating video games i've ever played in my life uh for at least four out of five chapters or four out of six chapters rather um and a lot of that does come from like i think they're like trying to paint like a very different sort of uh dynamic here because like you are playing hajime who is like like you said like the only person who is like really acknowledging that this is fucking weird like there's a lot of stuff about here that's off where everybody else is kind of, like, buying into it eventually, and then it just seems to, like, gel with a lot of their personalities a little bit more, because, like, they are a bit more of, um... Like, I would say that they're more of a group of the weird kids that you would see, like, in, in you know, in high school, so that all just kind of, you know, hung, hung out together, and that is interesting in premise, but it is also, like made Danganronpa 2 the harder sell of the first two games for me, like, in terms of me getting people to play them. Yeah. Um, because I'll, I'll say up front, like, Danganronpa 2 is, like, my favorite singular Danganronpa thing. But when you... I was able to sell, like, people that n didn't even really play video games a lot on, on the first game a lot easier than this one because when it was, like, somebody that's not even used to, like, more of, like, the, quote, like, tr 
the kind of tropey anime stuff that this game gets into far more than the first one. Um, like, that's maybe easier for me to swallow, but, like, somebody that just, like, wanted this sort of, like, Saw slash Murder Mystery slash Team Deathmatch thing that was the first game, this just makes a very strange first impression yeah. that kind of lasts for a majority of the game, I would say. Yeah, I remember distinctly when I first played it, um, a friend had convinced me to play the first one, so I played it and I got really, really into it, and then I started the second one, and I remember distinctly being, like, very put off by it and, like, weirded mm. out by the just, like, very distinct tone change and just, like, difference right. in the characters, because, like, the cast feels distinctly different in this one, too. Yeah. For and sure. the thing with that is, like, all of that does end up paying off in the end, like, the tonal dissonance mm. and, like, the difference in the characters and, like, all of that is relevant and it it comes through in right. the end. But, yeah, it is a lot harder of a pitch, I think, in the beginning. Yeah. And, it's like, like you said, it does pay off. But like, like, I would honestly say, like, Danganronpa 2 has, like, probably my favorite third act of I've ever experienced in a video game. Like, the last two chapters, I think, of this game are stellar. They are, like, the probably the best moments within the whole series in my opinion but and and it was like interesting like you get to you get people to that point and then it all clicks for them and they're like oh now i understand why it was the way it was for 20 hours yeah. but like i did like i, did, I have distinct memories of my sister who she's like does not play video games very much at all um like there were multiple times where she put my vita down and walked away just like i was like no please keep going like chapter four when mechamaru shows up just like things that are like so beyond the scope of the first game in a way that, like, delves into, like, a lot of weird genre ch changes, almost, like, in terms of, uh, like, you know, one is mostly, mostly pretty centered on, like, you know, the anime kind of slice, slice of life, but also, like, detective game, where this gets into, like, weird sci-fi elements and a bunch of other stuff that just on paper seems very off and yeah. weird and which like it does but it's yeah. weird to me like thinking about it that it does feel that way just because like in the first game right you have like memories being erased and right. like kids being locked in a school and in theory like an entire world revolution happening right um and like even like alter ego um, right. but it does feel like more hyped up in this one and I don't really know why? I think, it, they, I think they are just trying to, like, make that sort of, like, uncertainty and weirdness of it all, like, work in its favor, because I think that is something that, I think that a game series actually does a lot of, is, like, they will do something that is intentionally, we'll call it challenging, or annoying, or perhaps bad, uh, if it plays into, like, the larger mystery, and I think that is something that, you know, it's, it's like, a lot of these games can very much feel like some of their parts, rather than, I think, the first game had was able to just like each chapter kind of like stood on its own more in terms of like things that it was introducing and you know it got weird like there was even shit like robo justice in the first game that was like this just kind of seems a little wacky this seems a little weird like different from the tone of the rest of the game but two just kind of like starts at 10 and then cranks it to 11 a couple times and then kind of brings it all back a little bit more by the end just kind of like I mean, like, oh, that was, like, an intentional choice we were making to try and make, like, the jarring tone of this game, like, be part of the actual mystery. Yeah. And I think I'm interested to see how I'm going to end up feeling about three for this podcast, just because, like, 
knowing the conceit of two, I was already automatically like so much more on board with it playing it this mm. time. So I'm kind of wondering if knowing, you know, what all goes on in three, if I'm going to have maybe a more positive read on it, because I, like, mm. you know, will know what's coming. Um, But mm. yeah, because that was something I noticed is like, I was a lot more just like knowing what was coming. I was like, yeah, all right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one of those games that, like when, when you if you replay it, like you were kind of like seeing these kind of like the neon signs that are like pointing to the things that it is mostly like that can seem off or just seem weird and off putting. Um, yeah, because I, I do think like most of Danganronpa does that very well. Is it like even if even if you're not like content with the the sort of uh, end of it, you like you can at least see the things that they are hinting at as early as like this very first session where Hajime walks into a door that is surrounded by what looks like you know a computer like you know weird shit like that so yeah so i guess with that we can get kind of into like the the summary um you so yeah hajime is the only one who's like freaking out and he is just kind of freaking out um and Mm. then nagito who is one of his classmates is just kind of like, hey man, like, are you good? And then together they kind of, like, Nagito convinces Hajime to go around and introduce himself to everybody. Because doesn't he, like, black out or something and he, like, misses yeah. when everybody else is talking? Yeah, and they they even, like, had, like, a kind of, like, framing device around it. Like, the first thing I think you see in this game is actually Nagito asking, like, hey, you good, fam? And... So then it, like, does the thing where, like, oh, like, here's how we got to where we are now. And so then we have to actually go talk to everybody and talk about what they were talking about while we were having a flashback. Yeah. So. Yeah, so so that's the the framing. That's the opening. You then go as Nagito and Hajime and walk around the first island that you're on um, and meet all of your classmates. who are uh, a a crew of individuals? Mm. Um, yes, they are. <laughs> uh, I guess the quick rundown is: let's see. There's Baby Yakuza Fuyuhiko. There's mm. Akane, the gymnast. Gundam, the breeder slash pet trainer. Uh, mm. Sonia, the ultimate princess. Peko, the ultimate swordwoman. Uh, freaking what's his face? Teru Teru, the ultimate sh- cook. Uh, though he likes to be called the ultimate chef, but he's mm-hmm. notedly not. He's a cook. Um, Biakia Togami, uh, with a little asterisk next to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh Kazuichi Soda, who is a mechanic. Uh, what's her face? Ma Ma Marui. Uh, Mahiru. Mahiru. Is yeah. a photographer. Kiyoko is a traditional like Japanese dancer, mm-hmm. and then Ibuki yeah. is uh, a guitarist, and uh, Mikan is a nurse. Mm-hmm. Did I get everybody? Oh, and Maru Mekamaru. What's his face? Oh yeah, Nekomaru is the manager. ultimate like athlete manager slash trainer guy. Yeah, basically like a coach. Yeah. Yeah. 
They're a bunch of fucking weirdos. They are some strange children. Oh, yeah. and the most important one, I almost forgot. Fucking, um... Oh, fuck. Uh, God. The gate... Chiaki. Ch- Ch- Chiaki, yeah. I I would have forgotten her, too, because I was scrolling through a, a page on the wiki to make sure that I got everybody. But uh, I have... The, the specific page I have open, uh, she would not be on. Ah, uh, so. yes. Chiaki yeah. is the ultimate gamer, uh, so mm-hmm. shout-outs. And... Yep. Also, she's basically this game's like Kyoko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you weren't aware, these games, uh, they do follow a formula every time. <laughs> and that becomes important later. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, so those are all the kids. They're a bunch of fucking freaks. Um, mm-hmm. And once Hajime has met everybody, Usami like calls everybody back to the beach and is like, hey... I got you all some suits. Like, go have fun and swim. And Hajime is finally like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna go have fun and chill out. And as soon as he puts on his swimsuit and like starts playing in the water with the other kids, uh, just like mega bad looking storm clouds roll in, hmm. and our favorite monochromatic bear has arrived on the island. Uh, love that for him. He he should get a vacation too. You know. Yeah. You know, it must be hard uh, murdering children. Mm-hmm. Um, so why not relax by murdering children? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Monokuma is here. And he has them go to the like park that's kind of in the middle of the island. And this whole scene kind of sucks just because it like sets up the fact that he and Monami, or well, her name is Usami, but now she's Monami after this scene. Uh, he just treats her really awful. And, like, there's a hmm. lot of, like, fi- like quote-unquote physical comedy bits that are just, like, yep. him being ag- abusive and shitty. Um, and so then, yeah, but the whole scene basically serves to, one, say Monokuma's here, two, to show that he has complete control over the island now, pretty much, and that, like, even hmm. over uh, Usami, because um, he does, like, physically alter her body to, like, be, like, a light pink and a dark pink to match him. Um, and yeah, so he's here, and surprise, surprise, there's gonna be a killing game. Oh, he also turned uh, the, a statue into the monument. Oh, that's right. He makes so giant fucking... Big fucking mechs. He makes zords. Yeah. Which, again, is like, that's one of the things, like, that seems a bit beyond the scope of what this was. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's it's always interesting to see, like, him kind of, throughout this game, just, like, do things in the absolute most bonkers fucking way and i think again that is just like a constant tension it's like how is man doing this how is this like Mm -hmm. even in the same universe as what we're doing because like we've established very much this is like ostensibly in the same like the same world because like hosting academy is a thing hajime was super jazzed to be there and he's the only one that can't remember his talent that's also an important thing we should put we should put a pen in that oh yeah um and it's just yeah it's a it's impactful i'll give it that like it is, um, I, I mean, it, it it establishes that this is going to be the same, but it's going to be markedly different in a way, mm-hmm. which I do appreciate, even if it is, again, like, in the moment, it is very weird. It's just... I feel like it's, not like, sure. one like, of those things for me, like, the opening to Kingdom Hearts 2, where, like, a lot of people don't like it, but now I look back at it, and mm-hmm. I'm like, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 
like one, yeah, it is one of those things again. Like as you replay, as you like see the full context of what's happening, it all just kind of like clicks better. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah. So if you don't remember from the first game, the killing game is where one student has to kill another and get away with it, and they get away with it by making it through a trial with the rest of their class without being uh, voted as the killer. And if that happens, in theory, they get to, the killer gets to leave and everybody else dies. Or if the class guesses who the actual killer was, then the killer dies and the class is saved. And so, so we're going. We're, yep. We're, we're going it, into our first trial, our first case. Yeah, it does, it does get started like pretty quickly. Like that's, some, that's something that I also noticed. It's just yeah, like, it starts a lot faster than one yeah because there's, there's like less world building because I, I feel like the dying rock series it, it i think it's intentional and i think it just i kind of appreciate it it's just like there's not a lot of onboarding yeah for like new people i, I don't think these this series has ever been concerned with newcomers i think it is very much trying to like tell a singular story and wants you to play it in order and yeah so that there's not a whole lot of uh you know meandering up front yeah it's very to the point which is good, too, because, like, I think it also shows there's, like, a markedly different way that it's doing the narrative in that, like, the surprise is kind of right off the bat, and then it doesn't have, like, that similar, like, Junko moment, you know, um, to mm. kind of, like, you you have to have that moment there to do the reveal at the end, right? Whereas, like, this one, they're just like, yeah, some shit's going on, guess we'll find out, huh? Yeah. Um, Which, and again, like, it also, like, taking into account Monokuma's actual motive in this game like just it just makes sense that the one he'd be like yeah okay let's get to it on with the killing and mm-hmm. you know, like, as, as, even as we're talking about now like things that seem like i don't know like flaws or just like things that are not great about like the storytelling in this game just like it all just clicks for me in the end like mm-hmm. that's a weird thing to say and that is also i mean like you said v3 is something that i think is also doing a very similar thing it's like all the things that seem to suck about the story actually are intentional and they are meant to be part of an overarching mystery yeah um so chapter one uh you have a free time like normal you do your little life sim shit and then monokuma calls everybody back to the park and he has a little like show play thing where he basically tells the kids that monomi has stolen all of their memories which is why they don't remember Mm. like you know prior to being here right um and he frames this as like a motive um Mm. and then kind of out of the blue byakuya decides to have a party um and he's like insistent that everybody in the class has to come and uh Mm. nobody is allowed to have any kind of weapons at all and he like frisks them coming in but uh, something important to note is that when they're prepping for the party, uh, they draw straws to decide who's going to clean the old building that they're going to host the party in. And Nagicho is the one who draws the cleaning straw, so he spends the whole day uh, cleaning. Right. Which is, I actually don't think we mentioned what his talent was. So he's oh, he's the lucky. ultimate lucky student of this group. Yeah. He, so. He's... so that seems weird. It seems like he had a stroke of bad luck. What a concept. Hmm. Um, yeah, 
So that's kind of the setup. Ter- uh, Nagito is cleaning. Uh, Teru Teru is cooking the food for the party. Uh, Byakuya is uh, being a little crazy. And yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the setup. So everybody goes to the party. Um, and right as things kind of get started, everybody is there but Fuyuhiko, uh, because he has decided, nah, fuck this. Uh, and Chiaki is outside with, uh, Monami trying to make sure that Monokuma doesn't crash Mm. the party. Um, but yeah, then there's a blackout. Oh, and Peko is guarding the, what's it called? The contraband. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So uh, uh, in the dark is yelling and shit. And then when the power finally comes back on, uh, Biakia is missing. Well, oh yeah. I was gonna say if, if we should probably also talk about uh Mikan's uh, mm, what's the word to call what she's doing there? Her spread eagle situation. Oh, um. Yeah, when the lights come back on, we get our first glance at the, like, very uncomfortable uh, trait Mm. that Mikan has of falling down into very, like, risque positions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when we find her, she has, like, fallen on the ground and her, like, skirt is up and she's being, like, covered by a plate of octopus or something. Um, Mm. And that's... Which sucks. Yeah, it sucks. But it's relevant. Yeah, but it's also, like, it is a weird thing, because, like, I, not that Dengarama doesn't have, like, some sexualization, like, even in, even in, in the first game, this just feels like, and, and again, like, this is one of the things where, like, the weirdness of, like, the tonal change of this does not work for me, because I'm, like, I do think, like, by and large, Danganronpa has a fair amount of respect for its women, like, I think that they are all usually the most compelling characters of their cast. Um, in most cases, there, there, you know, there are some exceptions. But it's just like, because this is something that they start to like really lean into for the rest of the series, which was not necessarily like a pillar of how they treated these characters in the first game. Yeah, they definitely lean progressively harder into the like fan service characters. Mm. Um. And it sucks in this game, and it only gets worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they they basically, for this, were just like, what if we were, like, had a horny character and made a clue mm-hmm. specifically based around that? Yeah. Um, and that's, and that is, again, like, where the, the, <laughs> this, this case in particular, just, like, there are, like, some incredibly standout moments, but, like, the, again, the tone of it is just so weird, because this is where you're, like, really thinking how fucking weird these fucking kids are, and just, like, the way that they, they like, detract and distract from everything, and that is, like, I mean, you've already seen it in, like, their personalities, so I was like, not a ton of them are really taking even Monokuma's threats seriously, um, and there are maybe, like, only a handful that, like, really even acknowledge, like, the stakes of what's going on. But then th- this whole case is just, like, such a weird note to start on, but I think it is, as intentional as it might be, like, there are some some things that they lean into so hard that I'm like, I just wish you'd come up with a different way to handle mm-hmm. the dissonance that you're trying to play with. Yeah, it's... 
it's a very funky time. Um, but I guess to get back into it, they, our, our kiddos do eventually discover that Byakuya is dead underneath a table in the back of the room that they were having the party in. Uh, they also find mm. some key clues like uh, a knife that was taped to the table and some glow-in-the-dark paint and some night vision goggles that Byakuya is wearing. Um, and then Mahiru sketches out where everybody was standing thanks to mm. uh, Ibuki's memory of everybody's voices during the blackout because she has incredible hearing as the ultimate musician or guitarist or whatever she is uh and i think those are like the main main clues oh gundam drops his earring in the Mm. floor and then realizes that he he finds a way to get under the floor to get it Mm. um oh they're also the uh the irons um, oh yeah, there's an put, there's yeah. just like random irons on in the back storage room, and also there's like a bloody sheet back there. Yeah, and uh, the uh, the air conditioning is set to a specific time, like to, to turn on a certain mm-hmm. time. Um, oh, and also and, we uh, find out that there was someone in the bathroom for the entire time yeah. of the party, and we then eventually come to find out that Pekka was not in the office as she was supposed to be. Hmm. That's all the main stuff. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's time to have a trial. Um, and for the sake of I don't know brevity and such, basically, we find out that Nagito originally was going to be the killer, uh, and he used his cleaning, uh, shift to set up his crime. So it actually was good luck that he got the mm. uh short straw there because he didn't actually rig it according to him um right. and so basically he set that up Byakuya saw him ran under the table to stop him pushed him out from under the table and then was stabbed from below by someone else mm. um and through you know your Danganronpa sleuthing and application of the relevant clues, you find out that Teru Teru is the one who did it because while he was preparing the food, he saw Nagito preparing his own crime. And mm. so because he was desperate to go home, because he was worried about what was going on with his mom and his restaurant, he decided to kill Nagito to stop him from killing Byakuya. Uh, but he killed Byakuya instead. What luck. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, we can maybe put a pen in Nagito for a second because he's gonna have a kind of a, a monologue after this that we can touch on to kind of like mm-hmm. all encompass him. Uh, the thing, and it, we keep touching on this, like the weird like tonal dissonance. The thing, there are a lot of things to unpack about this trial, and because like the way that we know that Terrasur wasn't uh, in the room is because he did not see Mikan in the position that she was in, and as a very horny boy, that is like his yeah, his, his main personality, personality trait point. is pervert. So right, um, that he did not know what we were talking about was like the thing that damned him, um, and that he hid like the. Uh, the, the weapon that he used in the food. So, like, he, you know, the, the, and that is something that I will give them. They do, like, a very good job in this game, I think, of making the talents more um, relevant to each to each trial, which 
you know, that is one of the looser ones, but, like, it is still, like, something that he only could have done in, um, in his position as the ultimate chef, as he would like to be called. Um, but the thing is, and there's also the shit, like, the shit about, um, Pecco, like, having a stomach issue in the midst of it, and, like, it becomes, like, a whole thing about, like, Nekomaru talking about how, oh, like, one of his things is, like, he loves to talk about shit, like, literal shit. Mm-hmm. And all of this is happening in a trial that is ostensibly about an established character, the only established character here, that the, the player might come in with, like, a level of uh, attachment to that extends beyond one chapter. And we, I mean, we didn't really touch on it, but, like, you know, Byakuya said earlier to Hajime that, like, oh, if I have this, this past that I can't really talk to anybody about. That's why I can't trust people here. And, I mean, I guess we should also talk about the fact that, like, he's a he's bigger in this game. Yeah, he does look different. Like, like, he has gained a lot of weight. Right. And all that is also kind of played up for shit, too. Yeah. Um. So it's, like, a lot of, like, the total weirdness of this game i think i think and uh, to its credit i think as the trials get like basically past this i think they do get better about like reining that in at least to some extent um but it's like all this is happening over the dead body of the one character that a player might have like an established attachment to which again like it is meaningful in by the end but it's a whole thing like this it felt so fucking off to play the first time. Yeah, I definitely agree. It the whole thing too with Byakuya, like it does feel very strange. Like especially because a lot of the stuff that he says to Hajime early on is like kind of perhaps hinting at like the events of the first game, but it's really unclear. And then that's gonna come right. back later. Um, should we talk about Nagito now? Yeah, we can. Okay, well, one thing, like, if we could talk about Teratero gets uh, dumped into a volcano. Oh, which yeah, he again, gets like, uh, tempered in a volcano. <laughs> yeah, and then everyone points out that, like, Monokuma didn't follow through on what he said. Like, his, uh, like, when he said that he would reveal that person's memories to them, it did not say that they had to succeed at the trial. They just had to do a murder. And so, like, Monokuma, who we knew was fairly stringent for his own rules in the first game, just kind of was like, man, what the fuck ever, just pieces out. Yeah, he just, like, blows um, it off. Yeah. He's basically like, I said um, I would do it, I didn't say when. Right. So, yeah, now we can talk about Nagito. Uh, that, that guy... He's fucked up. He's fucking... He's fucked up, but he's fascinating in a way that, like, I... One of my favorite things about... Danganronpa as a franchise is that, like, every game is kind of, like, a remix of, like, what was a fairly straightforward concept in the first game? Just, like, hope and despair, how that manifests for different people. With this man, like, he is kind of more akin to Junko in that he wants to cause despair, but he gets, like, what he gets out of that is he likes to see, like, hope come out of it, which as a person who likes when, like, when like when a story is, like, super sad for, like, 90% of it, but then at the very end, like, it all comes to, in a way, that, like, implies that there's hope at the end, and that there's something that can be built from all of this carnage. I get that. That is a vibe for me. I mean, yeah, but there's um, a difference between, like, being like, yeah, I like a sad, I like the sad movie, versus, like, I tried to kill a man to watch my classmates <laughs> rise up to the occasion. <laughs> Because this man is basically trying to make those movies, like, in real time. He's yeah, like, like, I'm going to try and, like... That's I, truly his mentality, is I am going to cause problems so that my classmates will rise to the occasion to overcome them. 
Yeah. And it's like, I, I like how, like, distorted and fucking, like, weird and just, just, like, I don't know. Like, I, I like that he is so, com- like, such a interesting twist on the ideas that the series has already been putting forth. Because it is, like, how can, like, how can hope be, like, a dangerous thing? How can hope be a thing that, like, you know, the, the first game, like, aspired to. Like, that is what, like, you, it ends with you becoming the quote-unquote ultimate hope. And here's a guy that just, like, shows how that can be weaponized and how that can be a bad thing. And just, it was a very interesting first note, I think, to, like, and to see exactly, like, the way that manifests throughout the game is really cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just, like, yeah, like, going ahead? forward, that's just going to be the thing, is Nagicho is going to cause problems on purpose. Yeah. So we tie him up and hope that he will not. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's actually kind of the impetus of chapter two is uh people are creeped out by Nagito. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh and Which is valid. Which yeah, is super valid. So uh Nekomaru and uh Kazuichi end up uh, tying him up and leaving him locked in the same room where Byakuya died. So he can think about what he did. Yes. Um, but then in the meantime, uh, Monokuma does a new motive, which is an arcade game that's kind of based on, like, an old, like, murder mystery adventure game that's, like, in Spike Chinsoft's actual history. Yeah, Twilight Syndrome. Murder. Mur- murder case. This is Twilight Syndrome yeah, yeah. Murder. Bur- bur- bur. Um, yeah. Bur- bur- bur. But, um, so the game is a little bit funky. Uh, when you first start it, I believe you only see chapter two and four. Mm-hmm. And then um, you have to, and then it ends, and there's like a message that says like, down five or something. Um. Mm. And so basically, you can't see the entire game's story right off the bat. So even if you, there's like a lot of debate between everybody about whether or not to play the game. And everybody kind of says that they're not going to do it. But like, we all like, you know, in dramatic irony, know that that's bullshit. And (laughs) that like, some people are obviously going to play it. Especially because like, you have the ultimate gamer in your group. Mm -hmm. Um. Like, she'll play it for no other reason than curiosity. Yeah, well, and especially, like, if nothing else with Chiaki, like, if you spend any time with her, you know that, like, the second she sees a video game, like, her mm. eyes just get real big. Um, so, yeah, so you know someone is going to play it. Um, and Hajime does try, but he only sees, you know, the first, like, the, the two episodes that you can see. And then he's kind of stumped mm. by that message at the end. Um, and then eventually um oh after each trial to a new island opens up because um mm-hmm. monami fist fights the zords apparently love that for her yeah there's also world, a mini game cool, where you get to hours. like do that yeah <laughs> um which i actually played like a fair bit of when the game first came out i will admit to that i haven't played that much of it i tried a little bit of it and i was like i don't care about this <laughs> Um, but yeah, so this area has, like, a diner and a a nice little, like, kind of more private beach, um, Mm. with a beach house and stuff. Um, and yeah, so 
our our kiddos end up having a plan to go to the beach or the girls do and then yeah which Hazi would she find out about yeah and so then he like cajoles Hajime into going with him to like try and you know like have a meet cute basically with these girls mm. um and so yeah they all end up at the diner and uh Kazuichi and <laughs> Hajime are just kind of like there for a while um mm. and they see uh Hiyoko run by at one point they also see Fuhiko in the diner um and then once the girls start showing up Pekko shows up last and she's already wet because she's apparently been swimming around the island for a few hours trying to f- figure out if there's like an escape route that way. Mm. Um, so yeah, so then um, Kazuichi and Hajime head to the beach first and uh, the door to the beach house leading in from the road is blocked. So they go around and basically they find that Mahiru is dead in the beach house. Yeah. And the actual, the, the body discovery announcement goes off before we get there. That is also Oh, that's true. Yeah. So we like find it as Kazuichi had apparently just gotten there. Yeah, because Kazuichi gets there before yeah. you do. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so Mar- Mahiru's dead. Um, we have another investigation on our hands. Um, the key things for this one, I think, are like, the door being blocked, which we come to find out is because Mar- Mahiru's body is leaning against it. Uh, there's some tiny little footprints out in front of the uh, beach house, which mm. uh, could pr- only belong to like one person, really. Um, also in the beach house, there are no more water bottles of any kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, notably, the shower room is unusable and it's against the rules to like change in there um and then two inside the storage room like everything is really messy and there's also a little little gummy bear hanging out in there mm. um and then there's also like, a yellow some weird like a mask and shit laying on the ground yeah oh we actually did, didn't touch on that earlier when we were talking about uh places on this island because there was a library that sonia revealed to us that one she's like a serial killer enthusiast. That was the word that she decided to use. Mm-hmm. And um, she talked about like somebody called Sparkling Justice, which was apparently like a person that like a a killer who killed other killers. So like that was their sort of mo, yeah, and like, they, they wore masks shit. too. Yeah, and um, so yeah, just to put a pin in that. Um. Yeah. And so then yeah. we do our investigation. And the key thing about that is we see Fuyuhiko walking around with, like, a file folder of some kind that mm-hmm. he, like, doesn't want to talk to you about and won't show you. Um, and then yeah. uh, Chiaki invites you, or not invites you, but Chiaki is basically like, let's go play the game again. Um, and she tells you, like, what to do, which is, you know, push down five times, which, duh, Hajime. Um, <laughs> it told you. It literally it told gave you all you. the clues. Um, Hajime's not a gamer. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. so once you do that, you get the next or the other missing chapters, and the story is basically one of 
uh, a high school girl who was found murdered in the school's music room. And the whole thing is kind of pinned on a local, like, pervert who's been seen around. Mm. But in reality, it turns out that one of the girls in the story um, killed this other girl because she was being mean to one of her friends. Um, Mm. And so then that friend covered it up. And uh, during the trial, we kind of come to figure out that, like, each girl in the story, along with the one boy and the murder victim, were all real people. And that Mm. the boy is Fuyuhiko, the murder victim was his sister, and then the girls involved were Mikan, Mahiru, um, Ibuki, and um, Yoko. And a other girl that we don't know. Yes. But the name is Sato. Yes. Um, who is the actual murderer of, of Fuyuhiko's sister. So. Yeah. So we basically find out that Fuyuhiko's sister is murdered by this girl because she was bullying and, like, being a real dick to uh, Mahiru. Uh, and once Mahiru finds this out, she helps cover it up. Um... And so it turns out that Fuyuhiko does play the game, and even though he doesn't remember this occurring, he's super pissed off, and he tries to get Mahiru to talk to him about it, um, but she kind of, like, won't and is avoiding him. Um, and so then, thanks to- oh, I forgot to mention this in the evidence- Ma- Mahiru and Kyoko both got notes telling them to come to the beach house, but at different times- mm. Um, and so basically, uh, Mahiru's killer, uh, gets Kyoko to come to the beach house, knocks her out, hides her, kills Mahiru, blocks the door, and makes it so the only way for Kyoko to leave the beach house is to run out the front, which then leaves footprints. Uh, we come to find out that the killer is Pekko. Um, and the reason that she did this is because she and Fuyuhiko have known each other since they were little kids, because Pekko was, like, adopted by the Yakuza, basically, to be, like, his mercenary bodyguard? Yeah, that's what's right. Um, well, th- that actually, well, the, the, the interesting thing is, like, they, that is what is told to us after the trial is technically over because oh, yeah. she does put on the facade of being um, sparkling justice, like really hands it up to the point where everyone's just like, all right, cool. Fucking this, uh, let's execute her and mm-hmm. be done with this. Um, which was uh, all a ruse. So. Yeah. And the whole point that Pecco tries to make with that is that in her mind, she is a tool that Fuyuhiko uses Therefore, she mm. can't be a murderer because she doesn't have her own free will. And therefore, Fuyuhiko was the murderer and he got away with it. But the whole thing rests on if Fuyuhiko believes that or not. And he doesn't. Right. And so, Pekko is the murderer. Which, like, is... I, 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 I think this trial is, like... I, like I, I wish like it, it wouldn't work with the story that they had have written here, but like I just wish this could have been like the first trial because it fucking hits me seven mm-hmm. years later. Like holy shit! Like it is. I feel like it hit me more this time, honestly. Like yeah, the stuff between Fuyuhiko and Pekko, I was just like, oh fuck, dude. Like mm-hmm. 
Like, cause it is truly like the whole time Pekko is going on and on about being a tool, blah, blah, whatever. And like Fuhiko is just like, he told her as soon as they got to the island, that was like, they didn't have to do that anymore. They could just be normal. Like they didn't have to pretend, um, or, or they could pretend to not know each other. They didn't have to be like in that right. relationship in that way anymore. And Pekko just, like, can't get out of that mindset. So then it's really sad when she mm. dies because he's like, I just wanted you to be you. Like, I just wanted you to be a right. person. Fuck. Like, yeah. And, like, I just... It's, like, I, I still cry at it, like, every now and then. Just, like, because like, I, I watched this trial. Like, if I haven't even played it much as much, I've watched it at least just because, like, I get in the mood where I go and watch things. And just, like, the voice acting really sells it, too. Like, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't heard it in Japanese, but, like, the English uh, double it's very good. Um, the whole trial, just, like, the setup of it is, like, really, uh, really compelling to me just because, like, it is, like, you can kind of see... Fuyuko and Peko kind of like co-oping it at certain points where they're trying to like pin it all on Hyoko at some point and it it just seems very strange like when we when our attention does get uh put on Peko that like why is Fuyuko so concerned why is he still so in this right now it's not him right like what why should he care um and there was also the stuff of like the uh the actual body discovery announcement um being something that we as the player uh were not was not present for as it was happening and that was just, like, adds this whole new layer of, like, watching... Because I, I feel like uh, the series has to kind of, like, start to play with the rules that it has set in place, and that is just that was just an interesting way for them to, like, make a mystery out of, like, something that is... that seems relatively benign for an entire game, and then suddenly they're able to, like, change it just enough to where it becomes, like, a compelling, uh, like, piece of evidence. And yeah. Just, like, a lot of, a lot of like really cool spins on things that uh still stick out to it's me a nice here. thing too like it's kind of a callback to like in the first game when they have the question of like can there be multiple murderers mm. um it's kind of like that where it's like yeah like the body discovery announcement happens under these conditions right um yeah so yeah and then peko is executed uh basically by fighting an army of sword robots but mm. Fuyuhiko tries to save her um and is injured while doing that but because he was not the person who's supposed to be executed the kids convince Monokuma that according to his own rules they he has to save mm. Fuyuhiko uh so Fuyuhiko yeah. is taken somewhere question mark so yeah and that was actually, and that was also, like, compared to the the, uh, the last chapter, where, like, he had an actual, like, compulsion to have to do the thing. Because, like, when it came to territory, he was just, like, shrugs it off, and it's like, I didn't, like, you know, comes up with some excuse. But, like, Monami's like, no, you have to save him, because it literally says in the rulebook that this is, like, yeah. the only the lacking can be executed. And then he's like, oh, well, fuck, I guess I have to now. And with the first game, that was, like, a matter of principle, but here it's a matter of compulsion. And that I just think is, like, really an interesting sort of... Again, again, like a twist on something that has been established. Mm -hmm. uh, keep a pin in that, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Fuyuhiko was taken somewhere, question mark, to be saved, apparently. Um, and yeah, so, so chapter three, it's party time again. Because uh, Fuyuhiko comes back better yeah 
Could we find him in the hospital? There's a hospital, which is going to be a centerpiece of this next uh, Yes. Next this new island um, has, like, a pharmacy, it has a hospital, it has a music venue, and it has a motel. Yeah. Uh, which I will say, like, Fuyuhiko's first, like, kind of, sort of, uh, trying to reconcile, like, trying to, like, also try to, like, be a fucking person within this group, like, trying to, uh, like, for, you know, for himself, I think, a little bit, but also, like, just, like, to make Pekko's sacrifice like, mean something, like, he needs to survive, and, like, he needs to be with these people, and, um, like, Paco even says at the end, like, don't let another, uh, murder, like, like, a census murder, like, this happen, and he does, like, take some time getting to that, because there was a point where he, like, stabs his stomach, like, trying to kind of, like, uh, I don't know, like, try to make good on, like, what he put everybody through by being part of Maru's, uh, murder, um, which Yoko was just not tearing, which is valid, because um, she, oh, I, we actually, I guess we didn't touch on that. Like, she and Maru have, like, a sisterly sort of dynamic, because uh, Hiyoko doesn't know how to tie her kimono sash, and so Maru helps with that. Um, yeah, I, I, I it, it, this was the point where, well, at the end of that trial, and also, like, watching him, like, just try and, like, fumble his way through, like, being a normal teenager amongst other teenagers just, like, really endears me to him, and he's probably one of my favorite characters in this game. Yeah, especially because, like, he does very actively try to, like, stop mm-hmm. being such an asshole and just stop being so standoffish and like he's very invested in like trying to be a part of the group even if people are like pissed off at him mm-hmm. um but yeah so he he comes back basically and everyone's like oh yay and then he fucking stabs himself so then he goes back to the hospital um and Mikan is there to you know like help cuz she's a nurse mm-hmm. um and then he kind of recovers again. And so Ibuki, uh, pretty, like, not stealthily, uh, decides to have a get better party, or, like, a, mm. a, a, a yay, he goes back party. Yeah, yeah, like a welcome back party. Yeah. Um, at the music venue. Uh, and so she, like, she tries to make it seem like it's not her idea, mm-hmm. but it's, like, very clearly her idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets, like, Hajime and everybody to go to the party, and she even gets Hiyoko to show up. Um, mm-hmm. and then, kind of, like, while this is happening, uh, is it Chiaki? Somebody comes in and is like, hey, we have a situation. Might have been Monami, I think. Okay, I can't remember, but yeah, Monami... Somebody comes somebody in. Somebody basically comes in and is like, yo, because Akane and Monokuma are, like, going to fight on the beach. Um, So everybody kind of runs over there to see what the fuck is going on. Um, And during that fight... Uh... Nekumaru takes the hit that Akane is supposed to get from mm-hmm. Ma- Monokuma. Um, who, who does like a huge like energy? Yeah, he does like some hands. Dragon Ball Z shit. Um, and so Me- Nekumaru takes that hit in to save Akane. Um, and he's hurt really, really badly. So they ask Monokuma to save him again. And this time Monokuma is like, "This is an execution. I don't have to save him." Um, I don't really remember what they do to convince him to save Nekomaru. Uh, I think it is, like, only the rule breaker can be punished. Oh. It, like, it, like, that was sort of, uh, what Akane had done, like, she had, by attacking Monokuma, had broken a rule. Right. And so, yeah. So, 
Nekomaru is taken off somewhere and he's gone. We don't see him for the rest of this chapter. Yeah. Um, so then uh, a new motive is released in the form of well, Monokuma says that it's this weird movie that is released in the movie theater that's also on this island. Um, And Hajime like basically promises Monokuma like a million dollars in the future uh, for like a shitty sticker to not have to watch Mm. the movie. Which I have the sticker on my laptop (laughs) that I am recording this podcast on right now. Um, So Hajime doesn't see the movie and Hajime is the only one who ends up not seeing it, I think. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so then uh anyway, all of a sudden Mikan and or not Mikan, uh Akane and Ibuki start acting super weird. Like anything that you tell Ibuki, she'll just like believe you. And Akane, mm. all of a sudden, out of nowhere, is just crying constantly, which is, like, not like her at all. Um, and then, is someone else, does someone else get sick, too? Uh, Nagito. Oh, that's yeah, right. Nagito, Nagito gets lies. sick. And he just, yeah, he just tells, like, blatant lies. Um, yeah. And so... Cause I, I think it starts with, like, him saying that he, he found Mahiru, she's actually alive, and so Hiyoko is reasonably upset. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so they decide to take those three to the hospital uh so Mikan can like take care of them um and from there they kind of decide like okay we need to basically do like quarantine procedures uh so most folks end up staying in the motel rooms that are on the island Mm -hmm. but Hajime and Fuyuhiko since they were already in the hospital and might have been uh, exposed because Monokuma reveals that what's going on is something called the despair disease. Um, Again, just making it up as he goes Yeah, on. so uh, Fuhiko and Hajime might have already been exposed, so their plan is to stay at the hospital, but then Monokuma's like, uh, no, look at the rule that's posted here on this piece of paper on the whiteboard. You can't stay here if you're not a patient or helping a patient. And so because of that, and because there's not, like, I don't really know why they don't go to the motel. I guess there's not enough room, maybe. But they end up just going back to their cottages. Um, Yeah. And so then they set up, they also set up a system, like a, like a FaceTiming system, basically, Mm -hmm. um, to talk between the hospital and the motel um, to, you know, like, check in and keep everybody abreast of what's going on. But um, Mm -hmm. it can only happen at, like, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And it can only reach to the uh, the music venue. Yes. Um, and so I think like the next day when they go back to the hospital, um, there's Hajime is the only one there at the time, and he sees the incoming broadcast, and basically sees a person in like hospital clothes walking across the stage of the music venue, and then like walking up a ladder to a noose and like hanging themselves mm. um so he freaks out and runs over to the music venue uh and on the way he finds uh Fuyuhiko and Chiaki right uh Mikan. Mikan as well 
and um, and there Mikan basically tells uh Hajime that like Fuyuhiko wasn't there because he was helping her look for uh Ibuki because Ibuki has gone missing. Um, and so then you come back to the uh, so you go to the music venue, you find Ibuki's body, you leave. Uh, you find everybody else. You come back. You have to break the door down because now it's locked for some reason. Um, and then when the kids enter the second time, Kyoko's body is also there. Mm. Uh, Tied up to a pillar. Yeah. Double murder. It's a third chapter in a Danganronpa game. It truly is. Um, and so with yeah. this, like, the murders are kind of, like, seem to be patterned after the movie, and people keep, like, talking about that, and so then when the trial finally starts, Hajime's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because we had to go see it, and then there's the, uh, and there's, there's a point where Nagito's like, oh, it could have been Hajime, but then we have to present our ticket that said that, like, we only saw it after the murder. Because, mm-hmm. like, the majority of, like, not in the same way that the first game's third chapter was, like, kind of plays around with, like, the sequence of events, and that's kind of, like, at the core of what the actual mystery is, of, like, when these murders happen, like, what order they happened, whenabouts they happened, because, like, the murderer even, um, messed with the, uh, the heater in, in the theater, and, or no, excuse me, the, the venue, mm-hmm. and, um, so, like, you can't, yeah, you can't even really get a good time of death estimation, so a lot of it comes down to, uh, trying to figure out what the order of events was, and that, because, like, uh, they had, we find out that they used wallpaper to conceal Kyoko's body, so, like, she was there, like, the at the same time. Yeah. So, like, because, like, it's presented initially as, like, Ibuki was, had uh, hanged herself, and then in the time between us, like, leaving and coming back, Hyoko must have been murdered, which, uh, I mean, that would have been elaborate, uh, Wrapping work to get done in that short amount of time. Yeah, because um, she's like fully like spider web taped to the mm-hmm. thing, the pillar. Yeah. Um. Two. Abuki has like blood on her slippers, so they're like, why mm-hmm. would she have blood on her slippers if she died before Hyoko did? Right. Um. But yeah. So basically, with all of that, you find out yeah that like both of them, both bodies were there at the same time. Um, you also find out that the video that Hajime watched was not actually the the death, um, because turns out the killer is Mikan, and she uses the conference room up in the hospital mm-hmm. on the third floor to make it seem like the, um, what's it called? The music venue to fuck up, like, what time everybody thinks the murder happened. Um, and she chooses Ibuki because Ibuki is super suggestible, so she doesn't even have to actually kill her. She just has to tell her to hang herself. Um. Oh, no, I, I, I think she had to, she had to kill herself because she, um, that, that was part of it. Like, she was able to lie about her autopsy, like, in terms of the actual wound around her neck, because mm-hmm. she was strangled and not, uh, hanged. Oh, That was yeah. one thing that, yeah. But she, she was at least, like, uh. Like, docile. Right. Yeah, like, it. the whole point is that, like, she picks Ibuki because it's supposed to be an easy mark, and right. then Kyoko walks in on it because she is going to the music venue to use the full-length mirror there to tie her kimono, mm-hmm. since uh, Mahiru can't help her anymore. 
Right. Um, and so then because of that, the murderer is like, ah, shit, so they kill her, too. Um, and so Mikan hides the bodies and stuff. And basically we find out that the reason that Mikan has done all this is because she also had the despair disease, and her symptoms are remembering. Um, right. Which is interesting yeah because we kind of lost over but like mikan's behavior changes like um drastically Mm -hmm. because like she's very much been this quiet like very apologetic person um and then she just kind of fucking goes apeshit goes nuts yeah and it's like it is a very effective turn because like it my the the third chapter is typically my least favorite in all these games because I think they like they are where the intentional sort of like uh, ways that they are like kind of like using the same setups or not even the same setups per se, but just like referencing each other and like being formulaic. Um, I feel like that's where it just becomes most clear because that is where two murders happen. And the third chapter in the first game I think is certainly its weakest, but I think what elevates uh, two's uh, third chapter for me is that like. The turn just like does not is not as easily uh, telegraphed. I think just because like Celeste was clearly like I mean she, she is like you know sort of uh, pretends like she's got her head head on her shoulders. But, like there's always it's that like sinister nature kind of like underneath the surface where Mikan has been. You know she, like she has some moments where like she kind of like snaps out of the sort of a uh, very like apologetic, uh, timid personality that we've seen. Um, but here, like, she just turns into, like, this unrecognizable, like, villainous, like, person that, you know, just really sells, like, this, like, the sort of, uh, personality shift that they have here, which takes a more, like, I guess, concrete turn in V3, which we'll get to when we get to it, but, uh, just, like, really effective, because, like, she is, like, she's going on about the reason that, like, because she remembered, like, there's, like, this very... Uh, sort of skeevy feeling to it. Like, this is who she really is. This is who Monokuma, or like, Monomi, like, erased her memories of. To, like, this is who she was basically hiding through doing that. And just, like, so it makes you wonder, like, what is the nature of all of these people? And, like, why are all, why are they, like, why is somebody that was seemingly so kind and, like, willing to, like, she literally like, spent days here, like, trying to nurse these kids back yeah, to health. Yeah, she doesn't, and now, like, a whole like, arc of the thing is that, like, she doesn't sleep. Right. Yeah. Like, like you know, going through so much to get the, to get all this done, and then she just turns into, like, what... what there's, like, a... Because, like, Danganronpa does a lot of things, like, when they reveal a murder, they try to explain, like, what gets the person to that point and, like, try to redeem them, like, in their final moments, and I think it is generally effective in that. So, like, when the game is actively going against that and, like, trying to be like, no, this person... Is a villain. They 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 have done this not out of like a desperation to get out. They did it because they took pleasure in it. They did it because they were trying to. Oh well, I mean, like she talks about something that she was doing this for her her beloved. This person that we don't know. Like they never say who it is. They just like um, yeah. Like I I did this basically in honor of somebody else that none of you know. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fucked up moment. Yeah, and it's like basically. There's, like, with the beloved stuff, it it's, like, lo- I don't want to say low-key, but it's it's more or less implied that, um, that the beloved is probably Junko. 
because she she does have that moment where she like she like salivates at despair like she uses the word despair and i'm like oh yeah that's a there's also like a part where she's like at the end where she's like like talking to the beloved she says something along the lines of like i'm sorry for feeling hope or something like that Uh, hope that she'll see this person again. Yeah, and in death. Yeah, so like it's it's implied that this person is like probably Junko, but yeah, we don't know for sure. Mm. Um, it's yeah. It, it also that also became like a thing for because like we're meant to assume through most of these trials that Nagito is like meant coming here to be a menace, but like he's very pronounced. Like, no, I was gonna be on the side of y'all this time because this was not a murder done done for hope. It was a murder done for despair because he was, you know, like being treated by Mikan and yeah. um, saw it in her eyes, I guess. And yeah, it's a very chilling, effective moment. And um, oh, she also mentions to us because like Monica was t- telling us about uh, who Monami works for. Um, and he's been calling them World Ender, which is like, a, that, that's kind of a, a silly name. I wish that the localization had gone with something a little bit more um, foreboding. But uh, Mikon reveals to us now that the, uh, who it is that Monami works for, who, like, it, it is worth, there's like a distinction that is maybe like tacitly made, but not necessarily as explicitly uh, called attention to until later, that like, there's a difference between the people that put us on this island and the people that took our memories, and also the person who was put in us through the killing game, but those things are kind of treated as one and the same. Because, like, they assume that, like, by being on this island, the attention here was for us to be in the killing game. And, um, Mikan tells us that the World Ender is actually called the Future Foundation. Then she died. Yep. Which, and, and then again, like, another weirdly, like, sexualized thing. Like, I guess, like, going out in a way that was, I guess, consistent with how they portrayed her. Just... Just weird, though. Weird stuff. Not great. Yeah. Um. Like, you couldn't even have, like, respect for her as she was dying. I don't know. Yeah. No. It's, yeah. They kind of really commit to her being this, like, pathetic, like... Right. Submissive character kind of throughout. Mm. Um. But yeah, so we got a new island. Um, this one's got, this one, this island is, like, very creepy. <laughs> um, yeah. just because, like, the first, like, couple things you see are, like, an amusement park, which, like, mm. you know, we love a horror staple. Oh, hold on, hold on. We actually did gloss over something very important. Ooh. Nakamura comes back at the end. Oh, that's right. Of the last chapter. And he is a robot that cries soda and has a... Radio clock, clock inside him that give yeah like that tells him exactly like the very precise time. Um, again, that was a moment where my sister put the Vita down and walked away, <laughs> and I was like, I, I please come back. I promise it makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. just like remember that. Remember all the mechanics of how this man works. Yeah, all of a sudden, it's also like yeah, everybody's a little bit uncomfortable with Mechamaro. Um, yeah. that's cheap. Like, it, it does it very, yeah, it does it very least like. Um, acknowledge it like in a very like everyone is acknowledging that this is weird and not just Hajime. Yeah, because I think it is one of the things that is most overtly like this is not of our world. This is not normal. This is not how any of this is supposed to work. Yeah. So our boy is back. Um, he's a robot, and yeah. So we have a new island. It has a theme park. It has a fun house, and it mm. has like. A knockoff Disney castle. 
Mm-hmm. Um, which which Monokuma and Mommy do not want to go in because they're they're scared of mice. Yes, and that's important now and later. Um, but yeah. also, the kids can't go into the castle um, either. Yeah, because it yeah, it doesn't have like a proper door. Like it has to get blown up into later. So yeah. Everything. Um. So from that. Oh, and and Monami's house. Yes, Monami's house, which, which is like. They say it's like a fun house or, or like a like a horror house, but yeah, it's just Bonami's house. Mm. Um but so basically oh, and there's just like also just like a standalone roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um Which Monokuma tells us to ride, and then he will give us a clue if we do that. Yeah, so we ride that. Uh and wait, and I don't want to fuck up the order because the roller coaster is different from the fun house. Yeah, we we do do the roller coaster first because that's when he gives us the uh, the book about the first killing game. Okay, so yeah, so you do. They, everybody rides the roller coaster, and this is going to be a theme for this one: is that everybody has to do the thing to get the prizes that Monokuma is supposedly offering. Um, so they do the roller coaster, and then they get this book that is about Hope's Peak and the class that was in the killing game. Um, and they see that Byakuya was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's weird. Uh, yeah, which the game tries to frame. is like, that is when it explicitly tries to frame. Like, the thing that he was probably going to tell us after the, after, before he got murdered was about this. And that, that he has been through the game before. Yeah. So, after that, uh, Monokuma's like, okay, well... If you want more prizes, like boat parts and stuff, uh, you and like the answers to like what Hajime's talent is, you mm. all have to go to this fun house together. And everyone's like, "Well, this is clearly a trap, but all right, we don't really have a choice here." What else do we have to do? Today? Yeah, so everybody gets in the cart to like go to this fun house, and they get gassed. And notably, someone also pushes Nekomaru's sleep button because... Mm. Which is behind his neck. Yes. Like, on the back of his neck. Yeah. Yes, and that is the only way to knock him out, because obviously, like, gas doesn't work. Um, but somebody did push that button, so he is also asleep. Um, and then when everybody wakes up, they're inside the fun house, which is fruit-themed. Mm. And... There, it's so god it's like the most like convoluted things like i'm trying to like how are we gonna describe this in audio i guess sort of like yeah doing it yeah it's basically the premise is like the house has two halves and one half is grape one half is strawberry and each one has like a floor with um rooms to like sleep in um, mm-hmm. Each one has three floors, um, and each has a room, like, an area with, like, dorms, basically, and then there's, like, an upper level and then, like, a lower kind of common area, and in that lower common area is, like, where you can cross over to get to the other, um, like, side of the house, mm. and the doors to the hallway between only open, like, one side at a time. Um, and kind of, like, it takes a minute. Um, yeah, there's also an elevator that you can take to get to the other side as well. 
Um, yeah. And the final dead room, which is like a room that has some mystery prize that Monokuma tells us we can go get, but it... it oh yeah, he uh, tells what, you what that is, you can get the ultimate weapon from it. Yeah. Um, which... So, so- Everyone's like, that's, that's, that sounds dangerous, so we're not going to do that. Yeah, and so basically, to um, when they wake up and they're in this fun house, Monokuma basically tells them, like, hey, you're stuck here until somebody does a murder, and I'm not going to give you any food or anything until it happens. Hmm. Um, so the kid... And that's the motive. Yeah, and that's the motive. So the kids kind of spend their days, like, exploring this place, trying to find any kind of loopholes or, like, ways out. Um, And Monokuma kind of starts upping the ante by making them do, like, exercise in the morning. Um, And that becomes a key part of, like, the timing of the murder that eventually does happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Because things are starting to get pretty dire, and Hajime basically is, like, I would rather die than kill somebody, so I guess I'm just gonna go, right. like, starve to death. <laughs> um, yeah. And so then, like, he goes to sleep, and in the... It's also important to note that Hajime is the only boy in Grape House. Um, I think it's Grape House. Because uh, mm-hmm. there aren't enough rooms yeah, so. for everybody on... For all the boys on one side, but there's, like, three mm-hmm. extra rooms or something on the girl's side. Um, so Hajime goes and sleeps in one of the shitty rooms over there. Um, but basically during the night, they hear a couple of different, like, sounds throughout the night, but also not everybody hears them. Um, and there's, like, some alarms and some shenanigans, and basically when they wake up, um, they try going over to do Monokuma Tai Chi, and, um, it's, like, Sonia and Chiaki and Hajime um I'll try Akane as well. Yes, and Akane, yeah. I'll try to go over to do uh the what's it called? The the Tai Chi, the Monokuma Tai Chi exercise mm. party. Uh but they can't get into the hall and um the elevator is broken. And so then once they finally get in there, Monokuma like starts giving them shit about being late. Oh mm. eh, wait, I feel like I'm telling this wrong. No, I'm sorry. Okay, so he gives them shit for being late, and then they go they go into the tower, right? And that's when they find the body. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically, yeah, you find you find Nakomaru on the ground in the hall between the two like houses, uh, and he's dead. He's got uh robot blood spilled everywhere. His head is mm-hmm. all smashed. Uh, dislocated from his body yeah his like chest is smashed i think to a degree like Mm -hmm. yeah because they can't open it initially yeah there's like um a bunch of like crushed stone from one of the pillars and there's like a big old hammer and some chains and shit and like the other side of the door um across the way is chained um so You do your investigation, and this investigation is actually cool because at the end, you switch and you play as Nagito. Who is, yeah, on the other, the other tower. Mm -hmm. Which is wild because, like, I mean, the series doesn't have a ton of perspective changes, but when they do happen, they are significant and interesting, and it is weird to, like, be in the, uh, like, getting a first-person, like, inner monologue from a character who has 
uh, already shown himself to be questionable when he is, you know, not being forthcoming. And so, like, to be in his perspective is very interesting. Yeah. And it's especially interesting because you play as him to get through the final dead room, which is basically, like, fucked up Saw-style escape room. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nagicho goes in there and finds out that Monami is also in here and has been trapped. Um, and he's kind of a jerk to her. Yeah. Um, that, that just seemed mean. I don't know. I mean, they're all mean to her all the time. So, and I guess at this point he doesn't have any reason to make the distinction that they will make eventually. So, like, he thinks that this is just this fuck, fucking bumbling fool that, uh, works with Monokuma, so I guess it's, like, understandable. But also, it's just, like, you get a sense of what he, how he treats people that he does not view as ultimates, and, like, they, like that is maybe why he is um, more polite to people that he thinks are, like, embodiments of hope. And, yeah. Yeah, and so, basically, Nagijo does this escape room, and the final, like, deadly challenge of it, quote-unquote, is you have to play Russian Roulette. The Russian Roulette Monami explains the rules to him. And he's like, that can't be real. That doesn't seem like enough of a challenge. Mm. So he puts five bullets in the gun and uh plays. Which is like this is like the moment, right? Where like if you didn't believe that he didn't rick the straws right. earlier, like this is the moment where you see like Nagito truly does believe in his luck. Like, as much as he says... Like, blind faith. Yeah, like, as much as he says, like, oh, it's a useless talent, and I'm trash, and whatever, because he says that, like, throughout the game, like, when it comes down to it, he really, really does believe in it. So, Mm -hmm. he plays the Russian roulette with the five bullets and wins. Um, So, because of that, he gets, like, the ultimate prize, because he played on the highest difficulty... Um, so basically he gets to find out what the ultimate weapon is. He gets to go up into the octagon, which is, like, a room above the final dead room that has all these, like, weapons and poisons Mm. and shit in it. And then he also gets another book that has, like, everybody's class profiles. Mm. Uh, so then he gets to find out what Hajime's talent is. Um... And so then Nagito shows up again in time for the trial. In the other building. Yes. Notably. And when Hajime is like, what the fuck? Nagito's like, shut the fuck up, Hajime. Don't worry about it. Um, Mm. And that's important because we all of a sudden see Nagito being really mean to Hajime. Mm -hmm. Um, And like really rude. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because apparently Hajime was part of a... A reserve course, which is something that we did not know existed. Basically, like, Hoax Peak gave people an opportunity to get the brand without the talent, and but they had to, like, pay, like, enormous fees. And, and so that's why Naito is, like, suddenly just like, fuck you, because you're not an ultimate. I don't have to pretend to care about you. I don't have to pretend to care about the fact that you're here, because you're not a person worth admiring. Yeah, it's... Yeah, so he basically just, like, completely writes Hajime off at this point. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty sure this oh, is he- right where he says that in the thing, he lies about what what all information is in the books that he was yeah. given. 
Yeah, he says that it was just Hajime's file. Yeah. Um, but that he also got one about the the first killing game. And it's also to point out that there were parallels between this one and that one. And then points out that the fourth murder was a suicide. And just put a, put a pin in that. Yeah. So we start the trial. Uh, and basically... We find out that the the way that we're going to solve this murder is by understanding the structure of the funhouse. Um, mm. And basically, through Nagito explaining what he sees or what he saw during uh, his time in the octagon after the final dead room, uh, we basically come to realize that like everyone has thought that this house is two halves separated by like two corridors. When in reality, mm. it's actually, like, alternating levels that are stacked on top of each other. Um, mm. And the rooms are different shaped. Um, yeah. And so, like, the, the, when you walk through the tower, you're not walking through a tower. You're actually taking, like, an elevator. But mm. only the floor moves. So you can't really, like, tell, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. And then to the elevator, the actual elevator moves like horizontally around the building instead of yeah. vertically like normal. Um, And so then because of that, you're basically able to figure out that like the killer got Nekomaru into sleep mode, set an alarm for him to wake up and then tied him to the doorknob of one of the higher floors uh mm. that way when somebody called the elevator to enter the hall he would not have anything under him and then when he woke up he would presumably struggle and fall to his death uh which is you know probably like more or less what happened um yeah and yeah and we find out that this killer was gundam our hamster boy mm. who used his hamsters to Press the button, which is kind of cute, to be honest. A cute way to do it's murder. It's also so funny because he, like, he, he tells on himself. Because there's a point earlier yeah. in the in the game, like, when you first get there and you're, like, exploring, where Gundam, like, insists that he's going to have the hamster push the button to open the mm -hmm. hallway door. And so then, like, during the trial, is like, you use your fucking hamster. <laughs> Yeah, and it was, it was the thing that was funny was, like, this, because Nagito is, like, so kind of done with all of this, like, even, like, at one point it says this is just kind of, like, the opening act to what the actual, like, point of all this was, um, it's the point where, like, he hijacks the, uh, the recap section, like, and he just, like, it, like, the music plays for it and everything, like, he's, um, telling, like, you know, like, what, like, what it does when we do the, uh, the recaps at the end, like, the, 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 the sort of, like, the comic book that we have to fill in and fill out, um, and, uh, he's, he says along the lines of, like, uh, Gundam must have taken Nekomaru by surprise and, like, didn't actually fight for it. And that, like, it wounds his pride enough that he's kind of like, no, I certainly did not do that. I certainly used my talent and I used my four dart Davis of destruction. Which is, like, kind of funny because, like, he's basically... It's basically clear at this point that it's him because, like, he is not struggling, like, to kind of, like, fight back for a lot of it. Which, again, like, just remembering the parallels to the first game, like, it seems off. And, uh, so, but then, like, when it comes to, like, you know, the honor of what he did and how he did it, because 
he basically tells us that like no like Nekamaro and Gundam straight up fought to make this happen and um yeah this part is cool too it was... because it kind of like the way that Gundam explains it you kind of realize like yeah somebody was going to die and like they did fight with the intention of like whoever lost was going to die but it was because like both of them didn't want everyone else to die right yeah like like so. both of them like did not want to see their classmates like accept this and starve to death so mm-hmm. like once the fight started like a murder was going to happen yeah which is a good like again like a twist on what what the uh, the parallels are trying to make um and it all culminates in a very very sad execution where his little hamsters like watch him get trampled by fucking I don't know what if it was Monica was riding a bull. It's like it's literally like the Mufasa scene from The Lion King, but with hamsters. Mm. <laughs> that is true. I'd never made that that connection before. Um, um, and it's also it's really sad, right? Because the whole time, like the whole time that Gundam is alive, you kind of get the impression that like he and Sonia are starting to have like crushes on each other mm-hmm. and are getting like close. So then, after Gundam dies, Sonia takes over taking care of his hamster. Yeah. It's also, like, I mean, we didn't even, we didn't touch on this really, but, like, he, throughout the game, like, he's tried to be, like, the, the fucking edgelord that doesn't, like, really, you know, do shit, but there was, like, the point in, like, chapter two where he was clearly, like, show, like, trying to show Kazuichi and Hajime that he wanted to go to the beach, too, like, he yeah. wanted to be a part of things, and, like, he did give a shit and, like, wanted to be friends with everybody, and so a lot of that doesn't really, like, come to any sort of culmination except for, like, his relationship with Sonya, so, like, it was just, like, he cared enough, like, like he, he was never really included, but he still cared enough about everybody to make the sacrifice that he did. Just, like, I know he can be, like, a lot to some people, which, again, like, um, the majority of these characters are a lot most of the time, but it's, it's you know, and it, like, when you put it in the framing of, like, he made a sacrifice for it, but it was, like, that, that, that dude had, like, a heart of gold. Yeah, especially, it, it is hard, because he makes himself, like, actively off-putting with his, like, dark devas of destruction bullshit Mm -hmm. but like and like that's the thing right is like that's why sonia is able to break through because she's just like earnestly into it in a way that like no one else is like everyone else is just kind of like bro what the fuck are you doing and but sonia is just like genuinely interested in it and like Mm -hmm. believes in what he's saying and like thinks his hamsters are cute and smart and talented and so like they have this bond that I think is really cute and that I think, like, does a good job yeah. of showing the characteristics of kind of everyone. Yeah, and like, they even, like, because like, they, they make that, like, kind of, like, her quirk. It's funny because I think, like, generally she is one of the more kind of, like, straight-laced characters of the, the cast, but, like, she has, like, has, like, a weird interest in, like, the occult. And, like, that is why she's so interested in, in uh, serial killers and that is why she's so into all yeah. the stuff that Sonya's, Gundam like, is really talking about. kind of a freak. But just, like, packed yeah. in very norming packaging. And, like, the game kind of delights in being, like, yeah, she loves serial killers. She loves magic. She's probably had sex. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And on the other side, actually, we, we didn't really talk. Because, like, Akane, like, there, there was even a point um in in the, the beginning of the chapter where Akane and, like, Fuyuhiko are, like, trying, like, or Fuyuhiko is trying to have a conversation with her about, like, she might feel guilty for what happened to Nekomaru because it was in defense of her. And he's, like, trying to be, like, very earnest about it because, like, he, that's what he feels for Peko. And 
she's just like not really getting it. Like I think she's, like, she's just like, kind of more like too stupid to understand what he's talking right. about. <laughs> It's like, like, she can feel these things, she cannot, like, actualize them into words, be like, either, like, something that she can vocalize or that she really understands when it's explained to her, like, she's just very much, like, a, like that is, like, her, her thing, like, she goes with her gut, and, like, she just feels those emotions very strongly, um, which I thought was, like, a, it was, like, a good sort of, like, note to yeah. leave the, uh, leave this, like, specifically Sonia and Akane on as, like, they go into the rest of this game, because, like, it's, it's interesting, like, looking at, um, the, uh, well, I guess with the exception of Kazuichi, like, looking at the, uh, the characters that quote-unquote survived this game, um, because they all kind of had, like, somebody that they were, like, they, they, they had in their heart as they were yeah. moving on, and so, like, that is the point where, like, because Akane is, like, fairly mm, one-dimensional through the majority of the game, and I think, like, that was, even if it isn't, doesn't come to, like, necessarily, like, the, uh, earnest emotional blows of things like Chapter 2's ending, like, kind of, like, her sort of, um, the way that she kind of, like, takes it in stride and, like, rolls with the punches of it, like, just feels true to her character, but, like, it is something that she's clearly, like, holding on to. Yeah. Because Kazuichi does make, like, the little mini-maru that she holds on to. And yeah. it just, like, it has, like, his voice box, and it, like, just looks like a little tiny dude. Yeah, which is, and uh, I mean, even during, like, the despair disease, right, like, Akane is, like, crying about, like, what happens yeah. to Nekomaru is one of the things yeah. she's upset about. So, like, because Akane is kind of characterized as this, like, rough and tumble, like, from the bar rough part of town girl mm. who just happens to be you know like so athletically talented and she's just kind of like reckless and aggressive and then right. the whole arc with Nekomaru saving her and then you know becoming the robot and then dying um it, it I feel like that does a lot to add dimension to Akane in that like mm-hmm. until I had replayed the game for this podcast I missed the scene with Fuyuhiko and Akane because you, you yeah. like only see it if, like, while you're exploring, you happen to look into the room that they're in. Um, yeah. Which I did this time, but I hadn't before. Mm. And it's, like, it's really sweet to kind of see the juxtaposition of, like, this kind of, like, prince of crime and then this, like, girl from, like, the rough side of the tracks, like, both kind of dealing with this similar thing and, like, mm. not really having the language to communicate it to each other, but still trying. Right. Um, yeah. especially for Fuyuhiko, and then Akane kind of goes on to, like, you know, realize that, like, she probably does need to calm down a little bit, but also, like, she keeps Nekomaru with her, like, in the little tiny toy me- Nekomaru, and just, like, throughout, like, she can t- kind of continues mm-hmm. to remember and talk about him in that way, um, yeah. that I think is good. Yeah. Uh, it did occur to me, before we get into chapter 5, where stuff starts to get fucking really complicated and weird, uh, we didn't really talk much about the, the new mechanics they have in this game. Oh, um, yeah, we should do that. Yeah, because, like, I, I, one of my favorite things that this game does is it allows you to agree mm-hmm. with each, like, with the characters, and I think that is both good, because, like, it gives you something new to look out for, but I think it just, like, really elevates the writing of the trials in a way that I don't think necessarily, I don't think that the trials are, like, poorly written in part 1%. <laughs> I've been I've been talking about about the fucking last of us. So like when I say part one, I mean the first the first thing. Yeah, um, it's just hard the, uh, because in the first one, like you have to disagree with people. There's like no right. other option. And that's like when it comes in, like when they have to establish something and the, the conversation has to be combative. It comes up with shit like we have to explain to Kiro that Kyoko was not a ghost in chapter five, and um. Since they don't have to like, th- since that that boundary is no longer there, that like that restriction that they've made for themselves is no longer there. The conversations just flow better. The writing is just all together better, and 
allows you to kind of like just more naturally like have the conversations that would naturally happen when you are discussing different pieces of evidence. Um, that is like I think far and away like the biggest improvement like in terms of not just like because like there's there's some stuff that's just been straight up added, but like in terms of like tweaking a system in a way that just I think overall helps the game entirely. I think that is probably my favorite thing that they added into just because it helps it on every level, both gameplay and writing. Yeah, I agree. It just, it like, it just makes it make more sense overall. Mm -hmm. Like just that, like if someone says something, you can be like, yeah, you're right. Here's this clue I found that proves it. Right. Then they added, you know, a couple more mini games, which like the, I don't, I know, I don't have the names of them in front of me, but like the, uh, the one where you're like, you're using slashes and the sword, Mm -hmm. like that's always been like a very, very good one. Um, I, I'm not a fan of the sort of way that they change it around in V3, but I, I do just like that they are able to like make like make real moments of a lot of arguments, and not not necessarily just the uh, the final one where you kind of just do like the rhythm game, um, but just that like they look at you know just any any flavor you can give to like the more heated disagreements I think works in the in the game's favor and. That was definitely one of them. Like, I still, like, the uh, the chapter two one where you're having that argument with Suhiko is something that really sticks with me, just, like, as a moment of, like, really uh, selling the the argumentative version of that uh, of that conversation, but also make it into, like, a video game thing and just, uh, in a way that, like, really, <laughs> it's almost like I, I remember uh, those scenes, like, in the way that I would remember, like, a song or something. Just, like, I remember the, the, the ways that you had to... Uh, fight against those, whatever they were arguing for, and, like, get into, like, the minutia, like, how many slashes do you have? Because, like, I think the the one in two is the only one where you can run out of slashes if you're not mm-hmm. actually paying attention to the way that, uh, you have yeah, to, you like, have to, like do the slice animals. one way. Right. Yeah, like, and, you, like, you have to, like, go back and forth. Like, you have to do the opposite, so, like, it'll do more damage in one, and there's, like, a point where, like, I remember very vividly, like, multiple times that I've played this game, where that was a thing that got in my way because like it was I have to make sure I get the direction that I'm slicing right every time and you have to be very particular about them there. Yeah. It's... Yeah, I I had a hard time with some of those definitely <laughs> like figuring out mm-hmm. how many slashes I had left. Yeah. Um Yeah. They they also have the improved hangman's gambit and the uh, the the logic slide. The logic, logic dive. dive is hard, and I think largely I had a hard time with it because I was playing it on a touchscreen. But my ads definitely kept falling off the track. Mm. Yeah, that would I, I I never got to those points in mobile, so like I could see with it. But I do like it as in terms of like breaking down like a, a sequence of events in your head, like like I, I like the literal like the logic of the logic dive of like actually like breaking down an idea. And kind of go in step by step to make sure that it all clicks together and works. Because, like, I think this is something that a lot of, like, mystery games kind of, like, run into when it comes to, like, making mechanics out of these things. It's, like, how can you break down the idea of, like, thought and logic in a way that does not feel like it's babying the player and just, like, literally holding their hand through it and, like, give them opportunities to, like, kind of, like, try different things and, like, see if it pans out. And also just give you the opportunity to fail. Because I think that is something that... Daniel struggles with initially because like it's one of those things like you can't leave a room until you've uh investigated every piece of evidence like you like the tools are always given to you to um figure things out and that was something that's like i like about logic dive is that like it you know like it's not gonna like 
uh, gate off the right answer to, to you in any way, but it is going to give you opportunities to like try a different hypothesis and just like kind of see what works. And I do appreciate that. And I think what V3 ended up doing kind of like is a little bit better. And I think that's just like, you know, a fine tuning of that uh, mechanic, but big fan of that. Yeah, I agree. I think the logic dive, like, at least as an idea is cool, even if like the execution may be not great depending on the platform you're on. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are we ready for chapter five, Benjamin? I think we are. We're ready for low key, like my favorite third act in the video game, maybe. Possibly. That's fucking Probably. Good. It's like. It just. Like, I, I don't think the series, like, as much as I, like, do, like, 3 and V3 and another episode, I don't think anything matches, like, chapter 5 and 6 and 0 of this game. Just good fucking shit. Mm-hmm. This and then, like, the despair arc of the anime are just mm. chef's game. Yep. Good shit. Um, okay. So, chapter 5. Uh, the final o- island is open. Uh, and the kiddos go to explore it as usual. And this one is mostly like military stuff mm-hmm. and like manufacturing. There's like a robotics factory and also a plushie factory and like a military base. Um, yeah. So it's just like, yeah, kind of a bad vibes island. There's, except there's also like a weird like food street market. Yeah. It's. The thing that I think about with, with the, each of these islands is, like, I, I mean, I think there's, like, the uh, thing we're supposed to, like, intimate from this is that Monokuma has done shit to make these things different. Because um, I just, like, look at it and it's like, what was, what was Monomi's original plan with a lot of this stuff? What, 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 what does she think these kids were going to be getting up to? Mm-hmm. Who can say? Who could say? Um, but, yeah, so the kids kind of explore this island. Um, and... Basically, what stems from this is Nagito kind of goes rogue and basically, like, tells the other kids, like, I'm not, like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to find the traitor. Um, yeah. Which I actually don't know if we mentioned that, there, that, that Monokuma has said that there's probably a traitor for the Future Foundation among us that none of us know because none of us can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And that is, that is important. And so Nagito basically becomes, like, obsessed with finding this traitor. And he, um, Kazuichi and Fuhiko basically want to try to, like, catch him again. So they Mm -hmm. ask, um, Chiaki to try to, like, lure him to the hotel by the cottages so that they can, like, grab him, basically. Um, Mm -hmm. and Hajime kind of runs into him when he's on his way there. And Nagito basically is like, I know what you guys are doing, but, like, I have something to talk to you about. So I'm going of my own volition. Um, and then you get there, and, uh, <laughs> the fucking wall explodes. It does. And Kazuichi goes flying. Yeah. And so basically, Nagito, like, tells everybody, like, with this show, that, like, he has bombs, and he is mm. going to use them on the island to just, like, completely destroy it and sink everybody. Unless the traitor reveals themselves. Um, and so they kind of go on this scrambling mission to try and figure out where the bombs are and how to stop it. And, you know, Kazuichi and everyone are kind of like, you know, there's kind of a vibe of just like, hey, like, if you are the traitor, just tell him. 
Right. Um, and eventually they kind of end up back at the plushy factory and well well first when we when we do get through the point where we're all splitting up we as Hajime end up going to the fourth island which is where we check in Monami's house which we have not been to um and that's where we realize like she's even got like more of her like hanging up on like a coat rack and uh basically learn that like oh she's been able to like monitor us here from her house and she's like yeah, but Monokuma's not using those. Monokuma just knows things, and we're like, okay, that's weird. Um, and Monami also says that some somebody's broken in and stolen something from her, like this uh, precious gift. Or, or, it's like a jeweled box. It's like a treasure box. Yeah. Yeah, and so somebody's been in her house that was not us, even as we are learning all these things. We also go to uh, the castle, which Monokuma and Monami are, like, scared to go into. Um... There's like a scratched up thing on the ground, like it's like it says like some like the password to the future or something along those lines, and uh, there's a spear like that is like has like a corded like thing at the end, like a like, weight, kind of like yeah, it's, it's yeah. like a whip spear kind of. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah, and one of those is missing, um, and then yeah, I think that that was actually it. no. Well, actually, no, there was actually one more thing. Um, Sonia at one point wanted us to come meet with her about something, but it got derailed by all of this. And what she had ended up doing, she wanted to try and get to... Mm, we actually might not have touched on this. There's a ruin on one of these islands that looks suspiciously like Hope's Peak Academy. Um, and, but there's a gun on the door. Yeah, so like, if you put in the wrong password, you will probably get lit up. And uh, she was going to try and use... Uh, some of the bombs that were at, on that that last island to blow it up and try and get inside, and um, she went off to do that while we, everyone else was looking for Nagito's mom. Yes, and so then okay, so then everybody kind of reconvenes. Everybody except Nagito, um, kind of reconvenes back at the plushie factory, and they basically find this like computer and like passport scanner and like a bomb rigged to a truck situation mm. um yeah. and like a video on this laptop starts playing where basically nagito is like yeah if the um trader scans their uh student handbook then like the bombs will defuse um and so everybody's kind of trying to decide if they're gonna do it or not and chiaki's just like fuck this and she scans her uh her student handbook and like nothing happens um Mm. and so everyone's like okay well it must not be chiaki and then uh sonia shows up right as the bomb goes off except it's not actually a bomb it's fireworks yeah uh and that is what sonia was trying to tell us because the bombs that she took from the military base were also these fireworks uh, mm. And she tried to use them to blow up the door to the ruin, which did not work. And the only other person who was there to see her do this was Monami. Yeah. Uh. So after this, uh, the video keeps playing and Nagito tells them that he didn't think that the traitor would actually be revealed from that. So if they all go to the um, warehouse next door, he'll, like, reveal who the traitor is. Um, So everybody goes over there, and the door is kind of stuck. 
um, and Akane like forces it open, mm. and so then stuff kind of falls down, uh, and the warehouse is all dark, and there's like this hymnal music playing really mm. loud, uh, and then all of a sudden in the back of the room there's like this curtain and a fire starts uh in the in the back of the warehouse so everybody's like ah shit uh so they run back over to the break room in the factory because there's like fire putting out supplies (laughs) there yeah like i've never heard of a fire grenade like i've never actually Mm -mm. seen something like that i mean i assume that like probably like firefighters use it like they but basically the way to describe it is like they're these like they have some chemicals in them that are meant to like you know stop fires it's basically but you like the shit that's in a fire extinguisher but you like throw it yeah and then like the bottle breaks and the chemicals get all over the fire so when they get in there the only fire fighting tools that are left in the office are those bottles are the fire grenades um so everybody takes fire grenades and then they run back to the warehouse and everybody throws their grenades um, and so then once the fire stops, the curtain has been burnt up, and we see that Nagito is dead at the back of the warehouse. Dead as fuck. Yeah, like, dead and mutilated. That man is not looking his best. Yeah, he has, like, a knife in his hand, he has cuts all over his leg, there's a spear shish kebab through him. His mouth is, like, taped over. There's, like, knife wounds all over his arms. Like, he's just a fucking wreck. Um, so we have another investigation on our hands. Uh, and another trial. Well, there's actually... So, there's not really anything super conclusive in the warehouse. Like, you can just see, like, there's maybe... Like, there's, like, a blood streak on a... On a uh, yeah, on something like up on the on the ceiling, so like it maybe something got like like the the uh the sphere that has like the weighted cord on one end maybe got like thrown over. Yeah, you also um, there's like you note that like the way that the blood is splattered on Nagito's hand is like really weird, and also that like there's a Monokuma plushie that was like has a hole in it that's just like kind of mm-hmm. casually discarded, and it has blood on it. Um. And then the warehouse, yeah, is kind of, like, funky. And you also, oh, you also notice that, like, the Monokuma cutouts that were in there were set up like dominoes. So it's kind of like this weird Rube Goldberg machine to, like, set off a lighter to start the fire. Mm. Um, But I feel like the biggest clues actually come when you go into Nagito's room. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Chiaki and uh, Hajime both go into... Uh, Nagichi's room, and they find this poison in the fridge that is, like, very specifically, like, hey, you have to have it in a bottle, it needs to be mixed with water, like, it evaporates upon, or no, it's, it has to be in a, in a bottle of some kind, and then, like, it, it evaporates. It's heavier than air. Yeah, and, and it's it, heavier yeah, than it, air, and, it, and then water will, like, disperse it. Yeah. It's water-soluble, that's the word. Right. Um, so you find that, and then you find, like, a little piece of tin foil that's, like, clearly the, like, seal to something. Mm. And then you also find, you know, like, a mask and gloves that Nagicho was using to mix everything. Um, and then yeah. you also find, uh, the, the, 
the books that Nagito got from the final dead room. Oh, and also, um, Monami's oh, and her treasure box stolen thing. Yeah, which has a diary that like she. <laughs> It's, it's like they, so like they establish that Monami can't write because she doesn't have thumbs. Like she literally just has these like little, little, nubs. little nubs that she has, and it's always weird because like the the drawings and the writing in it are like childlike in a way that would let's say maybe hypothetically this person that is using this and is able to write in it is like trying to just be true to Monami's vision. Maybe Monami's got some like uh, artistic ego. Like she really wants what she wants captured on the page. Um, but it was always so weird to me. Like. That does not look like a teenager's, like, handwriting or also, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, but yeah, you basically, you read this diary and there's, like, it makes mention of the moment that Hajime tried to go into the final dead room during Mm -hmm. the funhouse shit. Uh, and, like, only one person was there to see that. Who could have written mm-hmm. about it? Um, and so that'll come up later. But yeah, basically you find out from the books, they find out that Bigakuya is the ultimate imposter. So he's not actually Bigakuya Togami. Mm-hmm. He's someone who like took that identity on and nobody really knows like who he is. Yeah. Um So there's that. And then I think that's all the evidence that's in there. Uh, I think, well, I mean, it's worth noting that, like, Hajime does, like, confirm, yes, he was a reserve course student, and that Nagito wasn't just, like, trying to shit on him, which, we guess we didn't, we didn't, we didn't really hit on as much, but, like, Hajime has, like, a level of reverence for Hostic Academy that is unmatched. And unhealthy. I think. And unhealthy, yes. And so, like, to find out that, like, he was, he had to pay to get there is, like, soul Christian to him, because... It's like all of all of Nagito's bullshit about like how amazing talent is and how you know those are the people that are worthy of anything like really eats at him and that must like that is probably before he lost his memory something that probably drove him to pay the money to be at Hope Speak Academy and so yeah it's it is soul crushing it yeah, is and it's like it's very clearly like a sore spot that has larger implications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we are, we go into the trial, and basically you figure out that, like, Nagito's death was a suicide because everybody was literally together, like, the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of the main crux of the case at the start, is, like, who could have done it? We were all together. Right. And even, like... Oh, well, Sonia was away, you know, attempting to open the door to the relic, right? But, like, Monami saw her. So, like, everybody has an alibi. So then, eventually, we kind of figure out, like, oh, okay, Nagito did it himself. Um, Mm -hmm. And, basically, he used, like, the Monokuma plushie and the spear and all of that to inflict all of this damage upon himself and to kill himself and to set the fire... Because, again, because he believes in his luck so much, he used the poison he got from the octagon in the funhouse, and he put it in one of the fire grenades, Mm. and then he just trusted that his luck would put it in the hand of the traitor, and that they would throw it, thus killing him with the poison. 
Yeah. So our assumption here is that he was trying to get all of us to rally against the traitor and like show the extent of our hopes by overcoming the future foundation who has put us on this island. And that all seems well and good. At least like it seems like a a feasible sequence of events. But then it comes down to we have to figure out who it is that yeah. would have been the traitor. Cause like, well, because, yeah, that's when it... Th- then you realize, like, oh, Nagito has fucked us because, like, even if his luck was correct, there's no way for them to know which bottle was the one that killed him. Yeah. And so... And, and Monokuma does confirm, like, yes, even though he stabbed himself, even though he impaled himself with the spear, it was the poison that killed him. So one of you yeah. technically is guilty. And so then it puts them in this kind of no-win situation of like, well, shit, we're all going to die because we don't know who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Chiaki starts acting kind of weird. Uh, she starts yeah. kind of pushing Hajime to put the pieces together on the journal entries that he found. and. Mm-hmm. you know, what Chiaki has been doing this whole time. Uh, and she kind of eventually ends up forcing him to reveal that she's the traitor. Yeah, and it even starts out with, like, she is saying stuff that maybe the traitor is only able to exist as the traitor. They aren't allowed to think or say that they are anything different. Maybe that's just the nature of their existence. And so she straight up says, like, I want you to guess, Hajime. And, like, it's very pointed, like... I need you to be the one to say it out loud. And so, like, it makes us pick her. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes us, like, scroll through the whole the whole room and pick her. And, um, it, it's interesting because, like, she, like, she, even when she acknowledges it, she kind of has to, like, react in a way that seems unnatural because she's just kind of like, yep, you got it. You know, like, she can't acknowledge the, the actual state of what's happening. And Monami starts to get, like, very defensive. And that is when it gets to be, like, I need you to prove that this is me. I need you to prove that I'm the traitor. And so that's when we get to the, the journal entries and we have like a knockdown drag out with Monami about uh, her trying to defend Chiaki. Like we had to, like, she was like, Chiaki's not my friend at all. Like, I, I don't even know her. her. Yeah. And, but then like by showing the, the journal entries, we were able to like make the connection and it's very sad. It's very like, there's, there's like, an interesting thing to it, because, like, I mean, okay, we'll talk about, like, Nagato's actual motive in a second, because, like, it, well, I mean, I guess we can maybe talk about that real fast, because Monokuma does reveal that at the end of the trial, that Nagato was not trying to unmask the traitor. He was trying, he was to, trying to butt the traitor, yeah. And, so, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there, because, like, regardless of, like, the reasoning behind that, like, there is... If that was his intention, there is an underestimation of Chiaki and what what we believe the future foundation to be. Because like he, for whatever reason, thought that the people that were not Chiaki here were not salvageable. Like that there was nothing, there was no reason for them to uh, continue on. And then, and he like assumes, I guess, that like Chiaki is going to feel the same way. That like if it comes down to her or these this other group of kids, whoever they are, um. He seems to assume that they, she would be out for herself in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like, a very uh, pointed, interesting thing that will be, a, like, you know, more overtly spoken about in the next chapter. Just of, like, Chiaki being like, no, I believe in these kids, regardless of the, the things that I know as a person that was part of the group. 
that put them here. Um, and so, like, I think that it shows, like, you know, like, where, like, the themes start to come apart in Nagito's ideology, because, like, for a person that believes in hope so much, like, he does not have hope that, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to say this without, like, getting too ahead of ourselves. He like, doesn't have hope, hope in the have... people who are left, regardless of, right. for some reason. We don't know why yet, but Nagito has no hope for his classmates, essentially. Yeah. Which is, you know, like, it's interesting for, like, all of the, like, his posturing about hope. Like, that he, it, it's superficial in a way. Yeah. Which is, which I guess it's kind of like, hard. delicious to me. It's kind of hard, too, though, because, like, I feel like in his mind, right, you could probably frame it as, like, choosing hope is, you know, we can't talk about it too much without getting ahead. But, like, I feel like him choosing Chiaki over them or, like, the traitor, because I don't think it ever is revealed that he knows it's Chiaki specifically. Right, and I actually don't think he knows. I think that's the interesting thing. Yeah, that, like, I think he, he doesn't... doesn't know who it is. I think he just knows that, right. like, it's someone. Um, But I think, like, the act of choosing that other person over them is, like, a continuation of his, like, I'm gonna murder someone so that you'll have hope of solving it. Um, right. But just, like, taken to a real extreme. But it does, yeah, like, it doesn't take into account, like, who the person is because he doesn't know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we can put a pen in some of that because I think, like, it's just the way that a lot of these sort of, um, like, I guess what Danganronpa 2 specifically's version of hope and despair, like, how that manifests and the way that does is just, like, some of the best fucking thematic writing in the series, in my opinion. And a lot of it is, like, it's, a lot of it does come, like, even, even though Nagito is dead here, like, his sort of, um, ideologies linger and like are very present throughout the rest of this game. Mm-hmm. Uh speaking of Nagito. Wanna talk about chapter zero, Ken? Yeah, well actually we we do have to one more thing before we get to chapter zero is we do all kind of like as this has been going on, there's been like what seems to be a bomb in the middle of like where the where the monobies were. Oh yeah, there's been, been like a countdown down. timer thing. Yeah. And Monokuma says basically like well, okay, actually, no, let's even go back even further. Because um, at, at that point, like, everyone resolves that, like, the future foundation must not be our enemy. Like, and so, like, we're believing in Shiaki, and we do vote for her. Like, so Nagito's luck did work out, and Monokuma's like, it doesn't, none of this matters. None of, like, all of this fucking shit that y'all are talking about matters, because, like, the, the main cast is on their way, and it's almost time. Mm-hmm. And so he executes Chiaki, but he also executes Monami, and he's like, I could have done that whenever I wanted to, since she's not a student. Um, and so everyone just kind of, like, is on autopilot for the next, like, day or two, and then um, we walk out as Hajime of our room, and Chiaki is there, which is weird, because we literally just saw her die, and she's like, oh, we've all got something we need to go see over at the restaurant, over at the, uh, over the building over there, and Nagito left, like, another, like, message that was delayed long enough that it would be uh, after the after the trial, for sure, but also like the 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 uh, sort of message she gets is meant to be understood by either party, so like either Chiaki or the rest of the group. And he does confirm that he did, uh, in fact, try to kill everybody but the traitor. And if he failed, then that fucking sucks. But that's not the hope he believes in. Um, but he kind of says what he does know, and is that uh, who whatever Monokuma is doing this for is uh, not even on this island. Like whoever it is that he wants to show this to can't see it or is, is not among us and um he says 
that uh, the only way to kind of like uh, move forward is to go into the uh, the, the ruins that looks like Hope Creek Academy. And the way in there was that password that we found scratched out in the castle, and that that was probably put there by somebody other than Monokuma or Monami because they can't get in there. Um, and that password is 11037. And then New World Order kicks in, and that is like still like one of those chill inducing moments of this game for me because like all like the, the hints of it being uh you know relevant to you know what happened before like whether it was the imposter being Biakia or that we know like the, the killing game happened and that they were host week students and we're host week students um that moment just like solidifies that it's not only it's not simply a continuation of the world of Danganronpa but it is very specifically of people like certain people like that would like that number means something to a character we have played as before and so this is like the continuation of a fight that he has been going through, and that just kind of like, you know, steps like it, it is a very like it's a fucking fantastic moment to go into the uncertainty of like what this ruins is, and um, like it's straight up like I like I, like there are a lot of moments in like the, the last two chapters of this game that I would say like are my favorite, but it, like it just the immediate impact of that moment is something that still sticks with me to this day. It's um, extremely good. Yeah. Um, especially because I feel like we... you've spent so much time, like, even when you get the, like, little pieces back, like, oh, like, Biakio was actually the imposter or whatever, like, I feel like, like, the original game still feels really far away at this point. Yeah. And then you get that number and it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's right here. It's like, it's, we're still, like, basically we're still in that. We're fucking in it. Same conflict. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fucking dope. And then it's immediately made even more uh, bizarre by Chapter Zero, which is, again, like, another one of the, like, the standout moments of the final part of this game, because it's still, like, it's, it lacks just enough context for it to not make sense, but also still, like, just puts, like, a fucking cloud over everything else that's come before it and after it. Yeah, and you can kind of, like, at this point, you can kind of start, like, drawing some lines a little bit mm-hmm. um obviously like the big big piece that you need for like specifically to understand what's happening in chapter zero like we don't have yet but like mm-hmm. i feel like like when you see this scene you're like especially like when you see nagito's hand right you're like mm, yeah. okay yeah because like I, and i don't even think that it necessarily gets to what is the ult- the ultimate reveal of like who these kids are mm-hmm. and like why like there are there are the threads because like Mikan and remembering like it, it, when that was her symptom to remember became this despair obsessed person uh that talked to a beloved that she would meet in the afterlife um and then we see Nagito's got a hand that is certainly not his and, and also they're in like a all... shipping container on a boat like heading to what yeah. you have to presume is the island yeah and all of this is happening through the perspective of a character that we never see. We just get their inner monologue, and it sounds um, familiar, not in terms of, like, a sort of, like, inner monologue that we've heard, but just in terms of, like, the ideology that this person is saying. And, like, they talk about how bored they are of the world and how... Yeah, the, the they... affect is, like, very flat the entire time, though. It's just, yeah. like, you're boring. This is boring. We're not going to talk again because right. you're boring. Yeah. But he also talks about, like, he wants to use someone as they used him. The gender of who that person is is kept ambiguous. Um, but it is heavily implied by the fact that Nagito sits up and clearly has a woman's hand. 
on his arm. With bright red and, fingernails. Yeah. And then, like, and he, Nagito starts saying about, like, he wants to see this person that he hates so much. And, uh, refers to refers to them as she like yeah. so it is fairly blatant but still like everything about it like that's like we're missing that key piece like that key piece of information that makes it all make mm-hmm. sense but like it's still like is it in like so is like, it in this scene where he talks about like how the hand thing works uh, i mean like he he does say like it's it hasn't rotted yet and like it's like it's, like it's become one with him but it does he can't I mean, like, the, move it but it hasn't rotted. right yeah. So yeah, that was, it's like, just kind of like there. Yeah. And he refers to them as the ultimate despair. So mm. we'll touch on that again soon. Like it is not to say that Nagito's death in this game wasn't like horrific, but it, it feels like the most like, that moment in terms of like the horror of what we know about the series at this point like feels the most pronounced mm-hmm. as as it has because that is the point where it gets into like the uncomfortable things that it is putting forth are no longer like why is Monokuma seemingly super powered why is one of our friends a robot it's like no something tangible and I mean plausible is not the word I want to use but just like grounded uncomfortable. Yeah developments are happening in a way that felt very much in line with the ending that the first game left It's on. also made more uncomfortable by the fact that this is kind of the point where the game starts presenting you with two different versions of reality and telling mm-hmm. you, like, isn't it weird that these things don't match? Kind of? Yeah. Because, like, even, like, right, like, in the in Chapter Zero, they're, like, they establish that they're on a boat. And so you can, right. you know, kind of make the jump that like oh if it's Nagito and he's on a boat he's probably going to this island but we see Nagito's hands all throughout his time on the island right he doesn't have a hand like that and he can use both of his hands so there's clearly something going on with like the different versions of reality that are being presented I think it's just like it's it's very effective I think in in the place that it's put it because it's just like the game has given you enough like breadcrumbs to get to that why that moment makes sense, but it's just like I I love that like it just throws this like seemingly incomprehensible moment yeah. into like when the game is like getting its fever pitch. I also like that it kind of echoes the beginning of the game when like Nagito is talking to Hajime yeah. for the first time. Um and you are yeah. kind of getting that first person perspective again of like Nagito being like, Hey Um It's neat and it will be neat for more reasons later. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, yeah. Are we good on ch- on chapter zero? I think I, th- I think we're good. Like I think I, I think I got my feelings. Out. I think I'm ready to have some other feelings about other things. Okay. All right. So this is chapter six, which is our final full chapter of the game. Uh, and things start getting weirder. Mm-hmm. Um. You know how Hajime just, like, all of a sudden started seeing Chiaki in the last mm-hmm. chapter, even though she was dead? And all of, all of the other dead friends. Yeah, all of a sudden, um, reality starts getting a little slippery, uh, and Hajime kind of starts, like, hallucinating that, like, different people who have already died are alive again, and there's also this, like, very weird electronic static that kind of keeps happening mm-hmm. randomly. Um, 
And so then all of a sudden, he, uh, Fuyuhiko, Akane, Kazuichi, and Soda, or and Sonia, sorry, um, all <laughs> show up back at Hope's Peak. Just magically, they're just there. Yeah. And it looks exactly, I mean, like, nature of game development, but like, it, it always, like, felt kind of unnerving in a way that, like, it was literally like, the same assets mm-hmm. of the first game. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, it's just effective, just to, like, it look exactly the same and feel exactly the well, same. Well, especially because you know, like, from the first game, you know why the school looks that like that. So then, yeah. like, when you're back there, you're like, okay, so, like, we're clearly still dealing with that. Right. Um, And, yeah, so basically, once they get here, Monokuma tells them, like, hey, you have to explore and, like, you know, do an investigation again. Um, and so Hajime starts exploring the school and kind of like every time he finishes up with an area, like he'll leave a room and all of a sudden he's on a totally different floor. Mm -hmm. Um, and that just kind of keeps happening. And you eventually he encounters Alter Ego. Um. Oh, well, actually, there are a few things we should probably touch on in terms of like the things that we learn between then and alter ego so some things that we learn are those are of course like is a, is a thing we learn about like the nature of it and that students paid money to get the hope speak name on their d- diploma and that was it it didn't matter if they had talent um there was um an event well okay no, there was a person that uh, was named after the founder of hope speak academy called izuru Konkura, who was Basically, like, an experiment the, the school was doing, and that was what a lot of the, the funding was, was to make a person that they could kind of, like, create talent within. And, like, so this person, like, ostensibly some kind of, like, fucking superhuman in this world that is capable of doing basically the anything that they want. talent. Yeah. Uh, and, um... He's responsible so that was for the... Like, we, do we find that out here? Yeah, uh, like, you, the the, he, the tragedy at Hope's Peak Academy that we found out about the first game, where like all the student council got murdered or whatever. Mm, that that bloody classroom. Uh, that was him. That was Izuru. Yeah, and the school covered it um, up. And the school covered it up, and it was revealed by a student. It was revealed to the resort course students by Junko Inoshima, who was working in the shadows to just like tear the school down, and. Basically, after that happened, there was an uprising of uh, the uh, the reserve course, and it all ended with them all committing like a group suicide. Um, and Hajime is the only except, one who didn't die. Yeah, it was like Hajime has that moment, where, like because he's having this moment, where, like he's learning about the reserve course, and he's like, "Was I a part of that?" And then Monokuma's like, "No, they all. I mean, they all killed themselves, and you're still here. So who can say what you were doing at that time?" Um, all I can say is you weren't killing yourself. Right? That's, that's one option down the drain. Um, and then we start to get some, we see some correspondence from the Future Foundation, who they were looking into saving some survivors from Hope's Peak, because, like, as we know from the first game, like, Hope's Peak seemingly fell, but there was apparently some survivors out there that never... Uh, there was supposed to be, like, a, like, a class worth of survivors, specifically. Right. Yeah, and so the Future Foundation had been going to uh, try and save them. Um, then we later, like, they, I like the, the, the gap in knowledge that they leave in, in these, this particular, like, thread. Um, cause, like, they're, you're getting emails about, like, a, a 
sector of the Future Foundation that's trying to find these students. And then the next thing you get on the thread is an email to Makoto Nayagi from the first game. Uh-huh. Um, and it is all about, like, why are you trying to protect the ultimate despair? Why, or the remnants of despair, as they're called. Yeah. Um, in a post Danganronpa 1 world. Like, they're called the remnants of despair. And they're like, why are you doing this? This is treason against everything that we stand for. Um, and that just kind of uh, gets left, you know, on, on a weird note. But then we do find um, a tablet that tells us about something called the Neo World Program which was basically meant to be, like, a therapeutic thing that, like, people that, were like, suffered through trauma would be able to, like, replace old memories with new memories, like, from a virtual existence. And so the idea was, like, you know, like, somebody that had, you know, been through something horrific in their life was able to, um, you know, replace their memories. Yeah, which is what we've been inside this whole time, because of... So we're left on the note that maybe, like, we were survivors of, like, the tragedy and had seen fucked up shit throughout the entire time. So, like, that might have been why we were put in here. Um, which is then when we I feel like, our, do, you, do you find out, hmm. you talk to, I don't know, I can't remember you find out, but you talk to Alter Ego more about Neo World. Yeah, that was... And you find out, like, they have to, like, reveal to you that the Neo World program exists, and that's what you're in. Yeah. And that's, like, Hajime has, like, a breakdown where he's like, everything that I've been through suddenly makes more sense. Like, the, the otherworldly elements of all of this. And that's when Monokuma just, like, straight up, like, leads us to Alter Ego to kind of, like, have a chat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then it's interesting because Monokuma does, like, make you have the conversation with Alter Ego, but then Alter Ego, like, I can't really remember what it is, but they kind of, like, do something to like pop hajime into another part of the program that monokuma can't access and then someone like starts or i think he says who it is right he says his name um it's got his sprite so like it's clear yeah so makoto is talking to hajime and like he doesn't know who he's talking to he makes it very clear that he's basically like I'm talking to you. I'm hoping that this worked. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm just going to hope that someone is there and I'm going to tell you this shit. But basically, like, there is an override switch in Mm. the Neo World program. Um, And so, like, if the majority of the class votes to, like, or, like, does it, then it'll shut down the program and they'll all get, you know, like, ejected back out into their bodies. Um, yeah, and he also he also does mention that they were forced to watch the entire thing. Like, they, like oh yeah, the Future Foundation says, had to watch what happened, or yeah. well, or he and whoever put them in there. Um, so you get that really brief message from Makoto, and then you get kind of booted back into the regular world. And Monokuma's like, "What the fuck was that?" And you're like, "I don't know, man." Yeah, and like there's a point like when he does leave and. We talked to Alter Ego a little bit more, but then Alter Ego's like, I don't have anything, like, there's nothing more for us to talk about. Like, because yeah. Hajime's supposed to ask about, like, who was that guy? And then Alter Ego's like, well, you and I are done. Yeah, Alter Ego's like, shut the fuck up. Um, yeah, please. <laughs> and then, I think, after that, you start the trial, right? Uh, there was one more thing that we actually uh, missed. Um, there was a list of subjects, and oh, that was in, like, the and Hyoko's lounge. picture! Yeah, a picture of Hyoko looking... 
older. Yeah, looking and... like an adult instead of a tiny child. Yeah. I think that was the last thing. Um, okay. So then you you get taken into like a version of the trial room that's like just kind of a like a cement basement type feel. Yeah. Um and Monokuma starts the trial, but he's like weirdly not into it. Yeah. Um, like he doesn't really seem to care, and he does just kind of seem to be like stalling. And eventually right. you call him out on that. Um Yeah, he does he doesn't bring in like a fake Makoto in to like talk to us at one point. Mm-hmm. Um which was a bit, which was a moment like to watch just initially where like Makoto was like being a kind of uh like an info dump, but not in the way that seemed of his nature, like to be kind of like caring about the situation they were in, and like there's a like it kind of almost feels like he and Monokuma are like co-oping the exposition for a second in a way that just does not seem natural. Yeah, and he also says a lot of stuff that like contradicts what you read in the emails. Yeah, but that's not before he um says like Monokuma should have showed y'all some clues. So you must know about your true identities now, right? And everybody's and like, uh, what? Like, aren't we the survivors of Oakley Academy? And um, then you do the logic dive, and you kind of have to realize that uh, these kids were ultimate despair. They were Junko's followers. Yeah, they helped her um, uh, take over the school. Yeah, it's a fucking good moment because it's it's like one of those like good like completely re- recontextualizations of everything, um, because you have you've been playing the villains this whole time. Like there's like a lot of, like mixed emotions that you're mm-hmm. that you are thinking supposed to have here. But like I basically been because like the, the fate Makoto spells out like the tragedy and what that in, the, what it entailed and that all of these kids are like. They've killed their families, they have mutilated their bodies, which we get, like, the sudden flashback to Nagito with the hand, um, and that they are basically, like, responsible for fucking the world up while Junko stayed in Homespeak Academy to pull off our killing game. Mm-hmm. Um, fucking, like, devastating reveal. Like, it's just a... Yeah. And, and, it, it, and, and, it, and then, then it clarifies it, why Nagito wanted yeah. to kill everybody. Yeah. And, uh, because he realized and that. also right and um also like i mean we'll touch on shiaki a bit more later because like we learned that uh she was an ai like she was not a student she was something like in the program yeah that was she's meant like to there's like a teacher observe. and like there are like two teacher roles and one was supposed to be mommy right. and one was supposed to be her yeah and so like we have this like moment of like uh no, she was alive. She like even if she was a program. And then Monokuma gets like you no know, twist the knife. Like don't get mushy about a game character because like he's been framing this all. It's like it's a video game. Like some, that's something that we, um, like you know, basically trying to belittle everything that we went through, which actually does end up coming up in an interesting way because like there's a moment where Fuyuhiko's like, well, who the fuck cares about anything that's happened now? Everyone's still alive, right? Like everyone has to be fine because this is just some game. And then Monokuma basically poohoo's about it, and then it's basically like. I think he encourages so that line like, of thought, certainly. Yeah. Um. And isn't this is kind of like the breakthrough moment, right? Because like he goes like this is everything should be fine. Then we should just vote to graduate. Um. And it's kind of clear that like 
the game, like, like, not the game, but, like, Monokuma has been pushing you to vote to graduate. And kind of pushing right. it as, like, this is the only way you're gonna get out. And so yeah. then Fuhiko is kind of like, wait, if we graduate, then we should be fine. And it's kind of a moment of, like, almost tempting these kids into doing it. And then... Yeah. Makoto shows up. Real Makoto. Yeah. Well, there there was one thing. There was one thing. Because, um, like, Monokuma does, like, t- try and tempt us, like, with the idea that, like, people might be able to come back alive. But he also is, like... Basically, the, the situation that we're given is that all the people that died in this game are comatose in the real world. Because, like, basically, if your body perceives your death, it will just shut down. Because, like, that is how, like, your brain operates. Like, if, if it believes in something... Like a, like a placebo, kind of. Um, like, if it believes in something, then the body will just react accordingly. Um, because it actually... Before Makoto gets here, we actually do... Okay, I guess, I guess we have to have the reveal now. Monokuma shows who he truly is. And he is Junko again. And it is technically, like, an alter-ego version of her. But it is... Her memories, like, the, the sort of implication there is that when she found Alter Ego in the fourth chapter of the last game, she kind of, like, repurposed it and made her own, and that was, like, this is, like, the, the post credit scene of the first game where Monokuma gets up and just, like, is, like, I'm not dead, I'm not a teddy bear, I'm this school's headmaster. And so the implication there is that, like, that was Junko's Alter Ego go getting up to fuck shit up. And, um, so yeah, we're fighting Junko again as a final boss, and, um, what are, what are your feelings about Junko being the quote-unquote mastermind again i think it's fine i mean like Mm. to me the presence of monokuma just kind of implied that like she was going to be involved somehow yeah um just because like like monokuma is tied to junko you know what i mean like so to me like and even like the first time i played this like seeing monokuma i was like i know she's dead but something has to be going on because like he is synonymous with her. Right. Um, yeah. But I didn't know... Like, I remember kind of being, like, meh about it in practice, like, when I first saw it. Mm. Now it's, like, kind of whatever. Um, I think the... The... The thing with Azuru um, and her kind of makes it more interesting, but also a little more confusing. Um. Yeah, I had uh, like I've seen a lot of people that get upset about like it basically like pulling the same card again, and I don't think that that's like a necessarily accurate way. Cause, like you said, the easier thing that we'll get to in a minute is like the real reveal of that nature, I suppose. But I like like you said, I do I do. It, it's kind of like going into a Saw movie and thinking that John Kramer is not going to be involved. Like that's sort of my feeling on it. Is that like. Yes, like, Monokuma was tied to, like, an event and a group and a bunch of people, but, like, even in, like, the investigations that we've been doing, it's been like, no, Junko is, like, the ringleader. Junko is, like, the the sole, like, source of what ultimate despair is. And I think it's, there's, like, a lot of interesting things, because, like, basically, by the fact that, like, Junko in her digital form is the one that has orchestrated this game, um, it makes Danganronpa 2, like, the continuation of the same conflict in a way that I find very appealing and, like, very interesting, just because, like, and we're gonna, like, when Makoto and friends show up in a second, like, we're gonna see, like, this is 
the most personal like we've seen this conflict at this point because like when we saw Juko in the first game, she was like, you know, hamming it up for the camera. Like she, that was very much like her not acknowledging that like she was talking to people that she had known for years and like was like at one point presumably friends with. And here we get this point where like Makoto comes in and it is him with like his restored memories of the emails that we read say. Um, and so it is tr- straight up like Junko and Makoto acting like as these parallels to each other in a very personal way that like we frankly just don't get again in the whole series, which is like why I think, despite the fact that it is a virtual, like, digital version of her, like, it is, like, probably my favorite appearance of Junko altogether, just because, like, I think she, it is the point where, like, she is able to most exist within the conflict of hope and despair that Danganronpa is constantly putting, because, like, she'll show up in Danganronpa 3's despair arc, and, but that is also, like, her setting the, the pieces up in a way that makes her, like, she's a force and Yeah, she you is, kind like, of more, find out... Dig in Rumpa 3, you find out how she did it. You find right. out how she did everything. Um, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which I like. But, yeah. I, I agree with you. Mostly because, like, I feel like Dig in Rumpa 1, right? Like, Makoto, Makoto isn't confident. Makoto is not, like, in right. that role of, like, I am actively fighting despair. Makoto is, like, largely just trying to survive. And so right. then by the time you get to the end, like, it is a showdown between them. But it doesn't feel complete because, like, Junko has already been in that end point and Makoto is, like, just getting there. And then she dies. So it is nice to have them, like, in... It's it's nice to see a Makoto that remembers her being able to talk to her and, like, being able to be like, fuck you. Right. And it's, like, it's just, it is weird, like, it is an AI, but it is the most human I think she ever becomes, because, like, even, like, like we're saying in Danganronpa 3, like, she is setting everything up, we see how she did it. There is still, like, an element of, like, a force of nature character that she, because she is, like, fucking unstoppable in that, in that show. And I think, it, like, it speaks to, like, her charisma and, like, the way that she's able to do the things that she has done. But I do think, like, this is the moment where, like, we're gonna see, like, Junko and Makoto as as the ultimate despair and the ultimate hope, like, actually, like, come to blows in a way that is special, I think, in, like, in a, in a series that, like, is going to call back to her multiple times because she is, like, the, the source of all of this. Yeah. Um, it is the point where she can, is, she is most herself in a way that I just really appreciate. Yeah, I especially um, think, too, because, like, I mean, we're already in it, but so, like, Makoto shows up and then Kyoko and Byakuya eventually show up as well. Um, and I, I just like all of them getting to have this moment of, like, being able to remember her and mm-hmm. being able to, like, talk to her in that state and be, like... Yeah. And all of them are basically like, fuck you, Jungo. Right. But, like, it's, yeah. it's nice. It's kind of cathartic that, like, they get to have that moment of, like... Right. Yeah. being fully restored with every remembering everything and then being able to talk to her even if it's not like a full version of her maybe um right and it and the like the alter ego version of junko is good like it talks yeah. to them the way she would like it right. talks to them as if she because it does have her memories and stuff so it like she remembers them yeah and i think it's also like something because like it is Across, well, actually, no, I guess Danganronpa 3's killing game has, like, a smaller, even, even a smaller scale, like, in terms of the audience that she's trying to show to. Because, like, this is, like, not Junko, like, trying to make a point to the world. This is her very specifically trying to make a point to the people that were her friends yes. at one point. 
And that is like what makes like that again that makes it personal. That makes the banter that they have, like the you know, the rival ban the rivalry banter that they have so impactful, like despite the fact like again, like I, I keep like circling back around to like even in death, like she is having that very personal fight that is no longer about and like and it, it does come with like the sort of uh the alter ego knows that Junko is dead and like maybe failed like it's not necessarily the word that I think she would ever use to you but like knows very specifically that she has like a very personal vendetta against her friends in a way that you know like Makoto is being strung up as this like basically the opposite of what she was and so it's not even about like it's not even about you know the despair that these kids feel it's not even about the despair that she's trying to infect the world with it is very much like I'm gonna try and beat my friends at this game again and well and it's very, very much like Oh, you wanted to fix these kids? I'm gonna destroy them right. again. Yeah, and that is actually something that, like, because th- the whole thing is kind of framed as like there are three parties here, and it's Junko, Future Foundation, and these kids, and so it, it is like between them. But like we, as the players, Hajime, and like the characters that we've been playing as this whole game, are kind of like that, that's something that's always like really fascinating to me, and it's like and it you know fully culminates in the the choice that is made and like how it is made and the way it is made. Um, that, like, they are basically, like, having their spat, and, like, Junko, like, straight up says, like, it doesn't, none of this concerns you, you're just a bunch of chumps. Like, you're the, uh, like, this is the main cast. Like, she straight up calls Yeah, them she that. calls Kyoko, Makoto, and Yakuya the main cast. The, and it, it becomes increasingly yeah. clear that these are the people that she has been waiting for this whole time. And she does eventually just flat out say, like, yes, this is what the timer was for. Right. And, it, like, and there's also, like, an element to it, because, like, she, she says all these things, but, like, also, we learned that through the fact that we were all ultimate despair, we agreed to this. Like, to show, the, like, the level of devotion that these characters had to her and what she stood for. Mm. Um, all of them agreed to come in here and do a killing game to show it to the Future Foundation, all because she told them to, and they were just all about that. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, I guess we can start talking about, like, what the, what the ultimate conundrum is here, because... They Junko has been trying to get everyone to kind of oh, you know, leave, graduate we, because mm-hmm. what is sorry, is this when do we get the Hajime reveal? Because it's kind of tied to what the ultimate choice is, right? Kind of. Well, I guess we're specifically for Hajime, but like the thing is that Junko is proposing is like if we graduate like through the way that the program was made to be done. We will go back to our bodies with the memories of that are like not ultimate despair. We will not be devoted to her. We will like be able to like just exist again. But she will take over all the bodies of the people that were in comas, just because like she like by uploading themselves, they will upload her into the bodies that are empty. Um, and so what what ends up happening is that like everyone is kind of like, yeah, okay, we like what we can do is we can do Makoto's things, which were where we. Um, we shut it down. Turn, like, yeah, we shut it down, and basically what that means is that all of us are going to be reverted back to ultimate despair. Like, we will have no memories of what happened here. So that's where the Hajime stuff It's the in. stake, too, of one will be reverted to ultimate despair, but two, our friends will actually just straight up be dead dead. Like, they won't even yeah. have, like, a Junko, you know, alter ego impersonating them. Like, they will just be dead. Right. Um... And also, too, though, the other thing that she notes, or that they know, is that now that the Future Foundation, like, Kyoko, Byakuya, and mm. Makoto are there, 
um, they're trapped, essentially. Right. They're technically students. And Monica did say initially that, like, he wasn't going to stop any of us from graduating, but, like, it did require a teacher's uh, approval. approval, which I guess would have been, like, in, in, the, in the scenario that's supposed to be, like, it would have been for Usami to kind of, like, if somebody was not necessarily, like, dealing with what they were going to go back into well, she could maybe, like, overwrite and, like, they could start over and, like, just try again. And so, yeah, it leaves it on that note. Like, yeah. it is basically you go out into the world as yourselves, um, or I will take over all these bodies. But if you don't do this shutdown, the future foundation will be stuck here. Yeah. And it's also kind of, she, she kind of tries to offer them the like, just repeat option too, just because she's yeah. like, if you stay here, like we can just repeat over and over again and your friends will be alive yeah. again. Um, and like for a second, it kind of seems like maybe they're going to like succumb to that, especially Hajime. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which is because, I mean, we can yeah. talk about the reveal. So we find out that Izuru Kamakura, the guy who was, you know, an experiment to uh, cultivate talent by Hope's Peak, is Hajime. And this happened because they wanted to take a student that had absolutely no talent, so someone from the reserve course and do experiments on them to just, you know, fill them to the brim with talent. And they ended up picking Hajime because he had such, you know, an adoration mm. for this school that, and he had such a strong desire to, you know, like, be talented and to be special that he was willing to do this. Um, and then he became kind of a monster. <laughs> Yeah, he has no, like, no, like, everyone else is kind of, like, their ultimate despair, but he specifically has had his, like, memories overwritten, even in the real world, so, like, he's not even Hajime anymore, yeah. is the way that Junko kind of like, describes it to yeah, us. J- yeah, Junko um, even says, like, I'm surprised you're even here, because, like, right. they, they say that, like, the profiles in the Neo world are, you know, like, built from old memories, and in theory, Hajime is not supposed to have any memories of himself. Right. Yeah. It's a, so there's a lot to unpack here before we even get to like the decision of what they're gonna do. Because I I think like Hajime as a like a like a symbol in this in these games is so fascinating to me because like we like with Makoto we played as a character who was buying in very much to what Hope Speak Academy was selling. And the thing that's interesting about Hajime is he was as well, but he is kind of like a symbol of like a victim of what it, that like what Hope Speak Academy kind of like pushes forward is the idea that like these talented individuals will be our future, like they they are the future of our nation to like in in every field that they all kind of exist within, and even with like Nagito, who kind of like delves into like talent is something you're born with. It's something it's not something that can be created. It's not something that you can learn. And so like Daniel but is like constantly like dealing with like themes like the meritocracy of a lot of the things, and so you're dealing with a character that has become so consumed by that idea that he was willing to, like, give up his own memories to be the ideal that the, the school was putting forth because he bought so bought into the idea that Hope Academy was, like, the hope for all these people. And I think, like, that's so important in the grand scheme of, like, what this game ends up being about is that, like, 
these characters have to decide for themselves what hope and despair means. And, like, they have Junko and Makoto here, like, making these cases, like, trying to get them to see their point of view. And, you know, you have these characters that are there in the third party of, like, they have to ostensibly, like, pick a side. And that is what Junko wants. That is what Makoto is trying to avoid. But Hajime is a character that has been basically ruined by everybody else's ideals of what these things are and, and like, his own whether to that some was. degree yeah yeah and that, that and that's become like the, the thing that he has to reckon with here is that like he has been living so long under like like basically under the foot of what this, this school or junko like hope and despair like what those both mean to the sort of like some of the figureheads of that in this universe and here he's being asked to do that again and that's when he does like get into like this sort of like uh, fucking fugue state where he's just kind of like shuts down and wants to just repeat and just like not have to think about any of this and just live around the island with all his friends. And he kind of and... he he ends up having a breakdown too of just like how how am I supposed to make this choice? Like right, like you you unload all of this information on me. You tell me you know how fucked up I am, and like show me how all the options are basically impossible. And then you want me to like choose, like you want me to just make this mm-hmm. choice as if it's nothing. And like on the one hand, I like. I was like, you know, because you expect video game protagonists to just, like, be able to do shit, you know? So I feel mm-hmm. like the first time I played it, I was kind of like, come on, Hajime. But, like, playing it again this time, it's like, this is really fucked. Like, they do just put Hajime mm-hmm. in this awful position and then, like, expect him to be able to deal with it. Um, right. And so, like, I think the fact that he does kind of have this breakdown where he's like, how the fuck am I even supposed to deal with this is, like, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that what does ultimately culminate in as we're kind of like having this moment where we're all vibing on the beach together and the ultimate imposter speaks in his own voice, which is, was a moment that I like jumped at because it like wasn't Miyaki's voice coming out. And he's like, yeah, that was, that was the thing. But then Chiaki's like kind of remnants kind of like, or like seeing him like, you don't have to be part of this game. And then it's like, they do like, I think they do like a really good job of making this entire kind of uh moment Hajime is having like be like really, uh, important in the mechanics of the game too because like it's not letting you shoot truth bullets it's not letting you do any of the things you normally do to progress the game but meanwhile like it's all still happening and but you're playing as a character that's just like can't function the way that he normally does so when it gets to that point with Chiaki like you can um you you take something and then you shoot what she says and then it gets into this new conversation with Chiaki which is interesting considering things that we know about Chiaki as a figurehead in Danganronpa for a, for another podcast on another day, but like she kind of is like, uh, hey, you you don't have to be part of this. You can choose for yourself. Like if you just make a decision to move forward on your own terms, things are probably going to be okay. Like you don't have to listen to these people that have dropped this all on you and are apparently beefing with each other while you're on the sidelines, and um. There's a, there's a line where Hajime like says to Chiaki like who are you you're supposed to be dead and like that that felt like I I, I don't know if like this was one of the things where like they did that knowing what they were gonna do in Danganronpa three or not but it uh spoke true to like maybe Hajime has spoken to Chiaki in another life Chiaki is a person yeah much very good Chiaki is real and she's my friend 
<laughs> um, yeah, it's, I like this part too, because, like, yeah, Chiaki, like, just kind of shows up again and, like, pulls, pulls Hajime into this, like, deeper part of the Matrix, kind of. Um, mm-hmm. and is basically, yeah, just telling him, like, like, I know this seems impossible, and I know it seems like there's the only these two options, but, like, it's kind of hard to understand what she's saying, I feel like, in terms of, like, what the third option actually is. Mm. But basically, the premise is that, like, Chiaki is basically saying that the third option lies kind of in either choice. It's just a matter of, like, you have to be confident in choosing a path. And from there, like, just because they're saying this is going to be the outcome, that doesn't mean it, it has to be. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of her whole thing. Like, she never tells him, you know, to go one way or the other. She truly is just like, you just need to make a choice. Like, you need to choose. Right. You do have to choose. But your choice doesn't have to turn out the way they say it's going to. Yeah. And it and especially does not have to be for them. Their their squabble is not your problem. Like, yeah. this is not about what they want, what they thought this was going to be, what either side was thought this was going to be. Like, you are in a position now where you can separate yourself from whatever the fuck they've got going on. This is not about them. And Yeah, and it's also, it's kind of cool because it's like a bridge there of, like, to, of her kind of telling him, like, just because, like, you know, you're going to go back and you're going to be a Zuru, but that doesn't mean you can't still be Hajime. Like, right. that person is still inside of you, clearly, mm-hmm. because you're here. So, like, you can, you know... Like, again, it's not set in stone. Like, you can choose to still be Hajime. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, yeah, like, it, it, and that, that sort of, like, idea that there might be duality between the two gets interest, like, gets more interesting when we finally do come to, but, um, yeah, there's that moment where, like, we, we shoot through all, all of, like, Izuru's despair, and, um, then Shiaki basically says, like, I'll, no, no matter what, I will be with y'all. Like, he, this is whatever, like, by making the choice to move forward, you are carrying me with you, even if I'm not real, mm-hmm. per se. Um, which then comes to that last little bit, where Hajime goes Super Saiyan. He does. Hajime just glows at the end. Hajime, like, decides to not be Izuru, and decides to, like, continue being Hajime while they're still in the, like, trial room or whatever, and he's just glowing. Uh, and his yeah. hair turns and white. And yeah, and he's like, there's like electricity coming off of him. But the thing that's interesting about all of that, though, is that like, yes, he's making the decision to be Hajime, but like, there's also like, I feel like there's like a heavily implied like characterization of Izuru in this because like, Junko stops perceiving him as Hajime. He starts, she starts perceiving him as Izuru. And you think back to the, the conversation that we now know was between Nagito and Izuru, like, um, Either it was basically like, I'm using this for my own means. There's something that I am hoping to gain through this. And I think it was interesting that she starts to perceive him as Izuru. Like, she's like, who the hell are you? And then, like, she starts to, as she's, like, starting to panic, as Hajime and friends are starting to rally around what they're going to do, starts to, like, specifically speak to Izuru, the person that she thought was in her corner to some extent. Mm -hmm. Well, because you kind of, I don't really remember what the reveal of that is, but you do find out that Izuru is the one that put the Junko virus into right. the Neo World program. Like, yeah. and like so, as part of her plan when she told them all, like, you're gonna go do this, like, yeah. he was the one who put her in. 
Yeah, and I think like and when when he was talking to Nagito, he he says things like, "I'm going to use someone the way that they used me," implying that like, and again, like there's a. It's interesting to look at a lot of Danganronpa 2's conclusion, wondering if Danganronpa 3, as it exists, was in the works in some way, or, like, th- these ideas were already, like, being, like, th- like, those seeds were being planted. Because it does imply that Izuru had some ulterior motive to all of this. It was not in pursuit of Junko's goals. It was in pursuit of something that he was doing for himself. And, um, I think it's just, like, like you said, that there's that duality where, like, he's making the decision to be Hajime, but Junko perceives him as Izuru, and what does all that mean? Yeah, I kind of like it in the sense that, like, it feels like Hajime accepts that he is, or he was Mm -hmm. Izuru, but, like, he's going to be the Hajime that was Izuru, if that makes sense. Like, Like, he's accepting his past and, like, you know, kind of, like, trying to deal with it, but at the same time saying, like, I'm not gonna be this person anymore. Right. Like, I am not going to continue doing things this way yeah cause, i mean that, that's kind of like the the argument that both makoto and junko are making is like you are going to in in the end of one of these or these two options you are going to be izuru or you're going to be hajime and so he's just like what if i was both what if i was the third option mm-hmm. yeah it's good shit it fucking owns yeah and so like everyone else starts to rally around and so like there's and you you, you know, have they the all, thing um, too where you like cut through or you like shoot everybody's like their doubts too because that's Mm -hmm. the nice thing too is like the game almost implies that like everybody is kind of having a similar moment that Mm -hmm. hajime is and like it might we we don't know if you know like if shiaki is talking to everybody or whatever but it does we do get the impression that everybody was kind of having a similar moment Mm -hmm. and you kind of mainly get that impression from sonia um but it's you can tell it's kind of for everybody. And so you shoot through, you know, everybody's doubts. And from there, they're all kind of also willing to take the key or the, the hint from you and to also be like, okay, like we can accept who we were and be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we take this shot, um, yeah. which is fucking good. It fucking rules. Good fucking moment. <sighs> it's so yeah. good. So, yeah, basically, yeah. after all of this, the the kiddos decide to do the shutdown. Um, and basically, they all just pretty much say, like, we know that we're going, like, this version of us is going to be erased again. We are just going to believe that we can be better, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, we are just going to believe that when we wake up, we can, we can do it. We can change. Um, and... And yeah, so they they shut it down. Isami shows up for some reason and has a, the, that was one thing about it. Like a, the quote unquote execution of Alter Eco Junko was always like weird to me. It's like ah, that like yeah, we had this like super fucking huge power of friendship moment, and then Isami just comes in and it gets like puts on the silly music and it's just like All yeah, right, okay. and like fights Junko like she's a fucking kaiju. Yeah, um, yeah, that part's not great, but. Yeah, the game ends, and then we get a little epilogue. Yeah. And so it did, It does do the interesting thing first, which is, um, you have, like, an inner monologue from somebody, and, like, the the text is in green, which implies that it's not Hajime, because, mm-hmm. like, the protagonist is always, like, in a different color. And so you figure out it's Makoto, and he's just kind of talking about, like, no one's really gonna know what happened here, but, um, 
so like it's it's not like the same thing as like what we went through necessarily in terms of like it's not going to be the history books. It's going to be something that is just kind of like known to a select few, and um, well, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be known to uh, a select other like fifteen people that happen to be locked in one place later. But um, yeah, just like kind of acknowledges the smallness of it in a way. Like it was you know life altering for Hajime and friends, but they kind of just you know it was just a thing that they watched through a screen oh yeah and also like too we kind of blazed over this but like the future foundation wants to kill them so they can't like that's another one of the stakes too is they realize like oh when we wake up they're gonna kill us um but then makoto's like no i'm gonna protect you whatever um but yeah so it is kind of that like like, no one can know, one, just because, like, yeah, it did happen in this small thing, in this small setting, but two, like, they can't tell, they can't, like, you know, even if they wanted to talk about it more, they can't, because, like, the kids are still in danger. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, it is, like, I mean, we we talked, you know, a fair bit about Makoto and what's going on here, but, like, I, I just, I admire the way that he, like, knowing what he was, like, Knowing full well what he was doing, and this is going to be like you know, what what is he, what he's doing in three that it's like so so significant. So like he believed so much in that these kids could be saved, that like that, that there was still hope for them. That like that that still that just feels like a you know this is this is about Hajime like existing like in the middle of this this spat that he and Junko are having, but it was Makoto like still like being you know the ultimate hope that like believed in people, yeah, and like defied the, the future foundation to do it. Yeah, which is you know a. A theme that we will touch on because like the future foundation is maybe less like it, it operates on the sort of idea of hope but its idea of hope is the utter elimination of despair and that is something for like a couple podcasts from now but yeah like it speaks to like the way that again like hope and despair manifest differently for different people and that makoto is still like a shining light in the midst of like because like this is again the one the the kid who now remembers everything that he has seen through all of this or has experienced and still, in spite of all of that, believed in these kids. Yeah, and believe they deserved a, a chance, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's fucking good. Not enough games, I feel like. I feel like too many games where they, like, reveal that you were the bad guy in the end are just like, and you should feel bad. And right. it's like, this is like, no, like, this is just truly saying, like, yeah, shit can happen and people can end up like becoming their worst selves in ways that they don't necessarily like imagine or expect but there can still be a chance for them and Mm -hmm. also i like that it it does force you know hajime and them to have that introspection of like what got you here like right what the fuck happened to you that you would be in this situation and like for hajime specifically it is that like that insecurity and that you know, desire for talent and that belief that talented mm. people are better. Which, other than Nagito, we kind of didn't really touch on this, but like no one else right. feels that way. Like, yeah, because there was the point where we like tell everybody, like, hey, flatly, like we don't have talent. We're not part of the reserve. We were part of the reserve course, and like we aren't ultimates. And then everyone else is like, that's fine. Like that's chill with us. We don't care. We're, like you're not suddenly not our friend. But Nagito was as he was, and. And like you said, Hajime is also like that. Like, like that does not compute. Yeah, like Hajime that. expects them to think lesser of him, right? Um, which is 
Which is, yeah, like, and I think that's, that's been an interesting thing throughout the series, even, is that, like, the characters that are, quote-unquote, like, outside of, like, the spectrum of talent that Hosea Academy recognizes, like, are the ones that, like, buy into the system more so than anyone that's actually in it. Yeah. Because, like, Makoto, like, he is the, the lucky student, but, like, he doesn't believe that's the talent. And not, like, where Nagito clearly fucking does. But so, like, he feels like, you know, not great being around all these kids that are supposedly better than him. And he's the one that's buying into it. Where all the other characters, like, they... It's just, it kind of just feels like something that they just... It's just the next thing that they were going to do in terms of, like, their path forward. Or, like, some of them are even, like, not even... Like, Leon was, like, not necessarily even buying into what Hoshi was selling in terms of, like, his talent as a baseball star. But he believed in it. Like, people believed in it. Like, he, he believed in people's belief in it to the point where he's like, if I am set here at Hoshi Academy, I can pursue other things. Yeah, well, and honestly, um, most of them just kind of... Because, like, right, like... Hope's Peak, the whole premise is that they scout these kids and then, like, you know, they don't have to pay tuition or anything to be there. Mm-hmm. So, like, it kind of feels like a lot of them are just like, this is just high school for me. Right. Like, this is just yeah. like, I have to go to school. This school picked me and I don't have to pay for it. So, like, yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah. But, like, it truly just does. Yeah. Everyone else is just like, it feels like they're just trying to be normal. It feels yeah. like the guy who's, like, on varsity football, where you're like, yeah, you're really good at football, but, like, you're still in high school. And, like, that's right. kind of what everybody else feels like. And, but it's, like, if somebody thought that, like, the captain of the football team was, like, the president. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we do leave on the note for Hajime specifically that he's got to find, like, a new hope. Like, he does say that he is here to exist as Hajime Hirana, but, like, it was, like... Both games do, and I think, like, there's, like, an extent of, like, they're not picking a side by them picking, like, a third option, but, like, the the series does still kind of lean on the hope side of things, because it is leaving them on the note that they can possibly revive their comatose friends, and so, like, where Makoto was kind of, like, walking out of the school on the idea that maybe, like, the world is not as fucked as Juko said it was, Hajime is kind of, like, if I can't, like basically like my hope right now is as small as the killing game was here in terms of like in the grand scheme of things i just want to revive my friends yeah it's also i feel like it's kind of implied that like right because they stay on the island one to hide from the future foundation two to revive their friends you can you can probably switch the order of those as far as importance but like those are the two reasons why they like in the text are staying Mm -hmm. but i feel like it's kind of also implied that like we see Hajime and he looks like himself again. He doesn't have the long Izuru hair anymore, mm. but his hair color is different and he has the different eyes now. So you still see the like physical effects of what becoming Izuru mm. had on him, which I think is cool. Cause again, like, you know, kind mm. of marrying that with who he wants to be. Um, right. But it also kind of felt to me like they just need some fucking time to like yeah. adjust again yeah you how to be people again because especially because it feels like a lot of it is like it hinges on the epilogue kind of shows that like hajime and them are like maybe not the versions they were in the neo world but like they are closer to that than you maybe would have expected um but it feels like a lot of that does hinge on the hope of reviving their friends so it kind right. of feels like they're very tenuously holding on to themselves with this hope of maybe getting to see their friends again. Yeah. Good. It's shit. so good. Ugh. 
And it's, I mean, not to, like, get too far ahead of ourselves, but, I like, there are a lot of divisive things about Danganronpa 3, but I think these kids are going to be fucking all right. I really like where they go, what, what series goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's... Danganronpa 3 is pretty good, I think. I It's been a while since I watched it, so I don't really remember all the details of the future arc very well, but... Yeah, it's a, like, I mean, I'll, I'll say it just up for now. Like, it is divisive, and I think there's, like, a lot of reason, like, a good reason for it to be divisive. And I think a lot of my enjoyment of it is based on some charitable reads, I guess we'll say. Um, but I do, I do think, like, in terms of, like, really having, like, a hold on itself and, like, the themes that these games have been doing and um, being willing to go out of, like, the state of a video game to, like, finish the story because that just feels more in line with what story is left. So, it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting show to talk about, and that'll be fun. Hell yeah. But first, we're going to talk about Ultra Despair Girls, so. Yeah, which is a it's less a fun video, thing to talk that's about. That's a video game. Uh, it, but yeah, yeah, for those of y'all who are listening along, uh, that's what we're going to be doing next, is the shooter spinoff game called yeah, Ultra Despair Girls. The Puzzle Girls. Shooter. Yeah. Uh, Which if you're if y'all are like if y'all are playing along, I recommend playing that on a PS4 or a PC and not a Vita. As much as I like playing it on Vita, I just know like it is objectively better on those other platforms. Yeah, I will be playing it on my PS5. But yeah, so so that's that. Uh, we're gonna take a weird detour before we get back to uh, wrapping up the story of these first two games. Uh, so yeah, uh, come hang out next next time. As we talk about Toko. Who is very good. We'll see. <laughs> uh, Kenjamin, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at ShepardCDR, and you can find me almost every fucking day of the week over at Fanbyte writing news or whatever comes to me that day. Um, you can also find me doing a podcast called Normandy FM, which was a once-was-bioware retrospective podcast that now just does whatever I feel like doing for, like, a few months of my life. We, as of this recording, just finished up The Last of Us, and we are going into Final Fantasy X uh, a couple weeks from now, and that should be fun. You think you're still going to be doing Final Fantasy X in December, Ken? Uh, I will tell you, oh, this is also, like, we switched over to a, um... Bi-weekly, right? A bi-weekly format, yeah, and the schedule we have mapped out for Final Fantasy X, like, the original game specifically, uh, lasts us until January, so... Hell yeah, perfect, because this podcast comes out in December, to be timely. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna be in the future! The future! But yeah, so listen to This is the future that Hajime fought for. I, uh... Which you've been on, like, almost more than anybody? I was gonna say, I think I'm second place for most appearances. That sounds about right. So, if you want to listen to me talk about video games more, <laughs> uh, you could go there. But yeah, uh, I think that's going to do it for this time. Uh, poo-hoo-hoo, and we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Dis- Goodbye, despair! It's the name of the game!